welcome to the World of Horror Podcast, episode 97. I'm Mom. And I'm Mac. This is the podcast where we share our love of international horror. Fear is universal, but we are not afraid of subtitles. <laughs> what? <laughs> this week, we are going slightly off program to bring you a pair of movies by one of our favorite actors, Song kang This week, we looked at The Host from South Korea, and Parasite from South Korea. Before we get into it, fair warning, these discussions will include spoilers and language which may not be suitable for all listeners. Let's move on to our first segment, Mom and Mac Chat. Hi, Mac, how's it going? It's going good. Well, it's really rainy, isn't it? It's kind of gloomy. Um, it's not when I... here. Oh, really? Yeah. Dang. <laughs> it's been so nasty. Away? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not fair. Um, my front yard is an absolute fucking mess. Okay. I need to tell you about this. This is... My life isn't very uh, eventful, but... This has me incensed. <laughs> okay. So my front yard, as I said, looks like shit. And I haven't ever raked the leaves on it. That's from all of fall. And now the grass is growing underneath it. And I have a landlord and I know they're like, this looks like shit. So I call up, you know, I, I literally look up my city name, Long Care. And I picked the one with the most reviews that said the highest thing. Called them up. They came over, gave me an estimate. I was like, great. And then he stood me up four separate times. Wow. Four, like, I'll be there on Saturday, Saturday morning, can't make it. I'll be there Thursday, Thursday, can't make it. Friday, I'll either be here this day or Sunday. Friday doesn't make it. Sunday, I text him, you coming over? Doesn't even text me back. So actually, my dad gave me his guy because he, I guess, does my area too. But then he was like, well, I can't do anything until it stops raining. So I just keep looking at my lawn. (laughs) It just looks so, I'm so, I know I shouldn't be thinking this, but every time somebody walks by, I'm just like, I know it looks bad. I know it looks bad. (laughs) And I just know I'll feel so much better when it looks better. Yeah. It's not even because I'm like, oh, I must, like, I'm not the American, like, gotta have my lawn. It's more like, this place definitely has some kind of HOA. I'm scared. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. I have a leaf situation. And I think you can see my (laughs) backyard. It's, like, enormous, and it's Mm -hmm. on a slope. So I'm just like, that's going to be a bitch to mow. (laughs) So guess what? I probably am not going to be the person who does that. Good choice. I have this very rickety... Welcome to Lawn Talk, by the way. <laughs> lawn Talk with Mom and Mac. I have a shed in the back that's basically falling apart. And, I, and I've been looking at my neighbor's shed, which is basically two or three times the size of mine. And I, I'm like, why am I this person now that I'm like opening my neighbor's <laughs> shed? Like, what would I even put in there? I have like a lawnmower and some yeah. like thingies. But um, other than that, I don't have a lot. 
but yeah. <laughs> when Alan and I were looking at this place, it had a shed and I had the thought of like, wow, a shed, that is so nice. And I have not opened that shed since we've moved in. It's locked and it has not been opened <laughs> and I won't open it. I don't have anything to put in there. Also, it's full, probably full of bugs. I can't lie. I think I am a, unfortunately have become a city boy. Like, I'm such a wuss when it comes to wildlife. I'm just like, oh, it's icky. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, when we get into host, I learned some stuff from watching the special features on the DVD. Oh, and, no. Um, I have a whole lot of respect for that cast and crew because they did shoot in the sewers stop i was wondering i was like wow this looks so realistic is that poop water (laughs) yeah it was probably like they showed shots of everybody oh my god and they were all assigned different hospitals should anyone have to like (laughs) what that's next level (laughs) is that that might be on the level of like the shining honestly it's some one of the special features and it would they distorted all the all the crew members voices and they're basically shit talking what a bad production it was but i think they were like yeah you know because first i'm like oh my god this sounds terrible because i'm so gullible but i they got me when they were like i'll never work with the director again because he didn't even have the script finished when we started shooting. And I'm like, okay, that's not. Yeah, it can't like, be true. Bong Juno is like meticulous. Like he he doesn't even shoot extra stuff. He just shoots like what he wow. wants to shoot. Mm-hmm. He looks so handsome, man. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> you was- look so beautiful. What a lovely oh. smile. How was your haircut? Was it a new person? Yes, I... I'm trying to be careful. Uh, I had the best stylist ever. It's You don't usually have this happen where you actually have a person that you can go to where you give them a photo and it's perfect. And it was recommended to me by um, a family member and uh, who still goes <laughs> to the stylist. And I had to stop going to the stylist, unfortunately, despite her being so talented because she was a raging Republican. Oh, no. Literally, last time I went there, it was on the Democratic primary in 2016. I had an I voted sticker and she said, I bet I can guess who you voted for. And then she was like, if we have different opinions, can we still be friends? And I said, that depends. (laughs) (laughs) And the answer was no. No. (laughs) So I've been on the hunt and I always go to Arrow and they always do me dirty, but I keep going because it's easy. It's like a, like a, North Carolina, really like Raleigh area chain. Um, it's okay. kind of like a step up from sports clips. Okay, gotcha. I it's like I guess for me as like somebody in my late twenties, everybody who works there is in their late twenties or thirties, mm-hmm. and it just has a different vibe than like sports clips or great clips, you know? Yeah. Um, but they're not good. It's not any better. But this lady was great. Well, she didn't do the best job, but I loved talking to her. <laughs> She was so funny. Um, she had me like rolling. She was telling me she she and her boyfriend moved in. And I'm just going to tell her whole life story. Uh, and he has a nine-year-old daughter. And she was just telling me like, I don't mean to sound rude, but I hope they're not home when I get home because I just don't want to talk to anybody. And I was like, 
I understand. <laughs> and she was like, this has shown me I can't have my own kids. And I said, I can't either. I'm too selfish. She said, selfish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, it was great. <laughs> good. That's good. I used to go to this lady, but um, first of all, she was, she's closer now that I have moved, but she's in a different city. Oh, and gosh. it's a lot of money to me. Um, I mean, I know, I mean, that's relative. People spend like all kinds of money on their hair, but to me, there's a certain level and I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, I just would rather not spend that much money on my hair every yeah. four weeks or whatever. <laughs> so I've been going to great clips and cause basically all I do is get the ends trimmed and the undercut shaved. Um, mm-hmm. and I found this really nice guy at, uh, the new, one that's close to me, but I only want to go see him because no one has ever done like great clips is not great. I mean, it's fine, but yeah. he did an awesome job on my hair. So now he's the only Aww. one I want to go to. So but even the unicorn. College, yeah. I used to go, even in college, I used to go to the barbershop because I had such a simple hairstyle that yeah. I'm like, why, you know, but anyway, welcome to hair talk with the hairs. <laughs> Hey, (laughs) it's so funny that like, I do feel so like attached to this last name and it sounds so natural to be the hairs. And yet neither of us have like no blood relation to the, I know it's so crazy. (laughs) The namesake. Yeah. It's my ex-husband's stepfather's (laughs) last name. (laughs) Like (laughs) nothing to do with us. (laughs) it's a pretty big name in north carolina actually really people are like are you related to the so-and-so hairs and i'm like absolutely not (laughs) no way (laughs) Uh, yeah so i know but i am so um attached to it too i did think for a while if going um well i didn't want to go back to my maiden name well, I was just this name for so long. Yeah. Like professionally and everything. And, you know, so no. And, yeah. Um, and then, like, who, I mean, I would have to make up the name because I don't really yeah. like the people <laughs> I came from. So it's like, <laughs> that, and that would be hard. Yeah. Well, actually, it's so funny because before I met your dad, I was going to change my name to Bear. Oh, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and then, like Mary last name, Bear. like last name, not first name. Yeah. Like oh. Chris Bear, or Christina Bear or whatever. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's like the same sound anyway. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I am really attached to it too, but now it's just, it's just mine. No one, it's like Tina. Oh Turner. yeah. No one can take, no one can take it from me anymore. <laughs> Me and Tina Turner, we're like so alike. In Very so similar. Many ways. I mean, people have said that. People for years. have stopped you on the street and been like, "I'm so sorry." Has anybody ever asked you that? Like, when I look at you, I can't explain, but I just think Tina Turner. And I'm like, I know. I know it happens weekly. <laughs> this is uncanny spiritual connection that we have. <laughs> Oh my god, it's like super pretentious, you know, like Turner. Okay, I have to God help me if this person ever somehow listens to this podcast. This is a person I've never actually met. They were like, 
I used to be in a really messy, I'm not even going to say friend group, but like a circle um, in in college. And there was this one person that was like both hated and loved. I don't know. I never met them, so I had no opinion. But I was told by someone that they thought that they were the reincarnation of um, uh, who was the woman that died uh, it, with the Manson murders. Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone. Her uh, baby that never got born. Tate. Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. Yeah. Um, Wait, Sharon Tate's unborn birdie. Uh huh. Well, that's that's you know what that is. That's schizophrenia. <laughs> that's what that is. And the friend that told me this was like, and there are some things that make sense. And I was like, no, there's no. not. No, there's <laughs> <I'm> not. Sorry. <laughs> what makes sense is they need to go see see somebody and get some meds and get on them stat. Like that's net. Like that's like. Like I and I say this as somebody who enjoys looking at astrology. Like I really do like astrology. That's like astrology on roids. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> and we should laugh <laughs> because otherwise, <laughs> oh gosh, that's too bad. <laughs> but so this was a really charismatic person like sort no of, like oh no like like sort of attached to your friend group somehow even the person that was friends with them was like always shit talked them oh this friend group was just not great Toxic, yeah. they all shit talked each other so okay <laughs> i'm not friends with them anymore is what i'm trying to say college is a weird time i mean yes I'm not really friends with anyone I was friends with in college. Like there's one guy who always cheers me on whenever I do anything in Strava. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Um, That's really nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, other than, I mean, but I wasn't, I, I just wasn't, I don't like this expression, but I wasn't my best self in college. Mm. Shall we say, I mean, I was like, oh, I don't even want to talk about it. But I, I don't like who I was mm-hmm. at that time. So it's okay. Like, I'd rather be friends with the friends I'm with now than the friends yeah. I was friends with in college. I mean, there are people like Bridget, who I know, you know, Bridget and Ben, I, I knew when I was a kid, basically, that I'm still friends with. But when you're friends with people that you were friends with from different stages at your life, it is just weird when, like... They might not even be stuck in that same stage, but your friendship is, but you're not anymore. Yeah. I have that with a lot of people that I know where it's like, I like you, but like, I don't know, we almost have to get to know each other over again. And that for some reason is just not feeling, it's feeling kind of awkward. So maybe we could just, you know, wave. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah. I mean, I'm not really super close with anybody you know, like that from my past. Mm-hmm. Um, or now. No, that's no. Why. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> um, no, that's not, that's not even, I don't know why that's not funny. I didn't, just not I close to anybody. <laughs> it's like the same energy as like, no I just don't like, like music. <laughs> like well, what? That's so weird. 
I can't remember who I was talking to about that. I think I was t- doing an aesthetics lesson and I was talking about that, like mm-hmm. how some on a date one time, somebody just said they didn't like music. And I was like, what? Where, where? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I gotta go. I no second know. date for you. <laughs> no music. You don't like any music. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't really like music. I mean, that's such a weird statement. <laughs> yeah. Like h- how? What do you do? <laughs> what do you do with your day? <laughs> so much of my day is listening to music, humming, singing, like tapping a little beat. Like you just sit. <laughs> I like it like this. <laughs> Actually, this is like super tangential, but I was listening to the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast or It's Always Sunny podcast. And Charlie Day said that his parents had a car that didn't have a radio in it because it was cheaper to get the car without the radio in it. And like, they were into music, like kind of classical music. Like I think they were both musicians maybe. Um, So they would listen to music at home, but they just didn't have music in the car. And then when he like adopted the car, he just drove around with a boom box. (laughs) I mean, you got to make do. I would do the same thing. Well, this isn't the same level because people just lived like this. I'm going to sound like such a a young person, but my first car, like I was just so used to having cars with aux cords and aux cord. And, uh, but you know, it was kind of cute making CDs, but it was sometimes just like, man, Spotify has just changed me. Like I do remember the time before Spotify, but now after the time of Spotify, it's like, if I have a world of music at my fingertips. I just want to use that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Totally. I mean, I just, everything goes through my phone and Mr. C a few years ago, put this like Bluetooth speaker thing in my car so Mm -hmm. that, you know, I just like hit a button and then the stuff comes through the car speakers. So perfect. That's like the best gift anyone has ever gotten me. Honestly, very sweet. Very thoughtful. Extremely thoughtful. Like something that you're going to use basically every day. Yeah. That's exactly right. So. (laughs) That was a really eclectic mom and Mac chat. We had some stuff to go over. (laughs) I guess so. Do you want to talk about, um, I have a little bit of trivia for the man. Sure. Hour. And then maybe we can get into the host. So Song Kang-ho was born January 17th, 1967, which we found out the other day coincidentally is the same date as Mac's dad. Like exactly. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, same year too. (laughs) Uh, He's married. He has two kids. He got married like, I think, I don't know, in the 90s. He's got two kids. He studied at the Department of Broadcasting and Entertainment at Gyeongsang National University in Busan. He started acting in the theater, and his first credit, first movie credit, was as an extra in 1996's The Day a Pig Fell into a Well. And he now has 37 acting credits on IMDb with two upcoming. He has won 60 out of the 63 awards he has been nominated for including Best Actor last year at Cannes. He was the first Korean actor to win that award. 
He has worked with directors Bong Juno and Kim Ji Woon four times and with Park Janook five times. I mean, I'm with the directors. If you find him, it is like j- just be in everything. Can you be in my thing again? Please. Yeah, there were a couple. I think he's been with Yi Chang Dong twice, the guy who mm-hmm. did Burning. And oh. um, yeah, so. Mm-hmm. And I, there was something on the special features of the host where uh, director Bong said that he kind of just wanted to have, I mean, he want he likes working with new people, but for this one, mm-hmm. he knew it was going to be a very tough shoot. And mm-hmm. so he wanted people he knew and that, mm-hmm. you know, he knew kind of could handle it. So he, he used um, song for that. And then also Bay Duna. Anyway, do you want to get into the host map? So here's the brief plot synopsis from IMDb. A monster emerges from Seoul's Han River and begins attacking people. One victim's loving family does what it can do to rescue her from its clutches. It was directed by Bong Joon-ho and written by Bong Joon-ho, Ha Won-jun, and Baek Chol-hyun, starring Song Kang-ho, Byung Hee-bong, Park Hae-il, Bae Doona, Go Ah-sung, and Oh Dal-soo. Cinematography by Kim Hyung Koo. <laughs> Excuse my pronunciation. It was released uh, July 27th, 2006 in South Korea and September 2nd, 2006 in Japan with a runtime of 120 minutes. Usually not my favorite runtime, but for Bong Joon-ho movies, I make the exception. I watched both of these today and that was kind of a like watch Parasite and I was like... All right. <laughs> watch the wow. Host. <laughs> we got a new TV and like, I'm going to be this person now. Like I was like, why would I watch it on my computer? I got this new TV. Oh yeah. So mom watched it on canopy, then DVD. I watched it uh, on YouTube with ads. <laughs> All right. So in 2000, an American military pathologist orders his Korean assistant to dump 200 bottles of formaldehyde down a drain leading into the Han River. Man, I have worked in a science career with chemicals. And I understand, like, I was kind of taking a moment to kind of be like, what, what kind of like allegories could I connect with all of these, you know, since I was watching it like a second time, and I, I knew what was going on. And like, I know this is just kind of like a basic, like, saving time dumping things without like a regard for human life. But it was crazy because, man, if this happened at my old job, like the way you would have been fired so fast, like they were so intense about all the chemicals. There was like things in meetings popping up like weekly of like, hey, we saw somebody do it like this. You can't do it like this, um, which is good. You should be like that. Um, Matt, can I blow your mind for a second? Please. This is based on a real event. Stop. Like, yeah, it does make sense. And it was 400 um, bottles of formaldehyde. This, and it's such a great scene because, like, you know, the Korean assistant is like, hey, um, that's toxic. <laughs> and, you know, his uh, American, you know, supervisor is just like, just do it. And also he comments on how dusty they are. Dog, that's every lab I've ever seen. 
But there's just a great shot as he's pouring it down and there's like steam coming up and it then just pans over bottles and bottles and you don't realize it's going to keep going. And there's just so many more bottles and you understand the magnitude of it. (sighs) So then over the next several years, there are sightings of a strange amphibious creature in the waterway and the fish in the river die off. There's a scene where, and I do think the movie does a good job of highlighting the water and just kind of like how nasty it looks. Like, and, you know, I've gone to, you know, New York and like, what what's the name of the park? Central Park or? Yeah, Central Park. You know, it is very pretty, but man, all those like ponds and stuff are so fucking nasty. <laughs> and yeah, there's a scene of like these two fishermen and like, you know, they kind of pick up a fish in a cup and they're like, how many legs is that? But you don't actually see it. So now it's 2006. <laughs> There's a slow-witted man named Park Gong-do who runs a small snack bar. And this is, this is our, our man of the hour, Song Kang-ho. He's, you know, he's got like his roots showing of like a bad dye job and is wearing like, you know, baggy green sweatshirt. You know, just kind of like a, I don't, a slobby, sweet looking man. <laughs> Doing his best, but it's not enough. Well, the first time we see him, he's got he's passed out. Um, yeah, with his face like on some coins, I think. Like, and the nice person is like, you know, takes like the change, <laughs> you know, doesn't steal, like pays for the thing. I thought that was nice. So yes, Park Gong Du runs a small snack bar in a park near the river with his father He Bong, who I love the way this old man looks. So there's some other family members. We have Gongdu's daughter, Hyun Seo, who is just like adorable little girl in this, I guess is her school outfit. Sister Namju, who is a national medalist archer, and his brother Nam Il, a alcoholic college graduate and former political activist. I I loved I grew to love that character so much throughout the movie. Well, you'll be excited when you come visit me next week because that's the same actor who was featured in Decision to Leave. <gasps> What? Oh, I'm so excited because I thought he was so funny. So, you know, there's like, you know, just a, a <laughs> you know, funny little moment like, you know, the dad's like, you know, go, go feed these, these people, these squids. And he just like grabs a tentacle off and just eats it. And, but then his sister is, you know, competing in this archery competition. So then he leaves it and dad has to go back and get it from burning. And later he's giving him like a talking to like, Listen, they it's such a serious thing over something like so silly that this movie makes me laugh out loud so many times. Um, <laughs> Dad's like, listen, they they said that there was a leg missing when they order a squid. They're hoping for the 10 legs. They're the best part. <laughs> and just the way Kong Du's like not listening. And then the dad. He, he's put like the leg he was eating in his sweatshirt and the dad grabs it and starts eating it. I just love them. So, um, you know, he's going to bring over some extra beer and another squid uh, to those people on the house when everybody starts noticing this creature that's hanging down from a bridge. And yeah, it's just this giant and green amphibious nasty looking thing. And I love this scene so much. I feel like this this whole set of events is like such an iconic moment from this movie. Everybody's watching as the creature uh, goes into the river and then (laughs) Gong-Doo starts (laughs) because they're all just looking at it 
and Kong Du throws a beer into it and it grabs it with his tail and then just everybody starts throwing food into the river. And um, I do love this because you can tell there's all these tourists there. You know, there's just like a bunch of people from it's like all different places, it seems like. But then the creature emerges and begins attacking people. And Hyun Seo and the grandpa, distracted by the archery competition, where it was a really gripping moment, but the sister takes too much time and misses and loses and has to only get the can only get the bronze medal. She walks out and you know, and everybody is coming from behind. So he he grabs her hand and but they get knocked down. He grabs again what he thinks is her hand, but when he looks back, it's another little girl wearing the same uniform. And then he looks and Hyun Seo is taken by the tail of the creature into the water, you know, and it's eaten a bunch of other people too. And they assume she's dead. <laughs> I love this chase scene. You know, there's a little bit where he's, you know, it's a lot of chaos, like all these people for some reason run into this trailer as the giant fishes, you know, as the giant creature is chasing them. It just goes in there and they're trapped in there because there's a chain wrapped around it. And just all <laughs> you see through the crack of this trailer, people's hands all bloody, you know, because they can't get out. <laughs> Gong Du and an American guy helps them get out. So there is a mass funeral for all of the victims. And that's when the family reunites and they... <laughs> It is really sad because, you know, they're crying over, you know, they're this young girl, but they're crying in such a crazy way. It just keeps escalating like so much with also Nam, Nam Il calling Gongdu out being like, how could you have taken another daughter's hand? Like, you're such an idiot. And then people just start taking photos because I guess it's such an epic scene. And then they're like, stop it, you know, get away. They like fall on the floor. And <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, rolling around. Rolling around, just like crying so hysterically. And there's one shot where Nam Il like does this weird like kick at Gongdu. And I, I love that. It's that like was- this jump kick. <laughs> I guess that was improvised, um, <laughs> but it kind of reminded me of the of the kicks and memories of murder, you know. Such a great scene. As like they're crying over their lost loved one, uh, somebody's like, "There's a Hyundai outside, <laughs> yeah. lights on." And this woman gets up, and they're just like, "How could you have thought you you could park there?" <laughs> it's they're wailing. <laughs> um, at this mass funeral, uh, a man in a hazmat suit comes. And I love his entrance too because he walks in, trips, gets up, and like you know tries to look very official. Is like <clears throat> um, everybody, <laughs> and you know he tells them all that you know they have to, you know, wait there. Um, and they ask if anybody came into direct contact with the creature. And you know, Gongdu just immediately is like, yeah, I didn't touch it, but it's it's blood sprayed on my face. And he's like, grab that guy. Grab that guy. <laughs> and his family's like, no, no, no. He was lying. He didn't mean to say that. And suddenly the whole place gets quarantined. So and- one thing immediately that's like a little different than other monster movies is that we've seen the creature like in the first like 10 minutes or something. So that's a little unusual. And 
usually that's like some weird reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's a little different is that, um, and, and director Bong said this himself, he's like, this is a kind of a loser family. Like everybody <laughs> <laughs> is not performing at their highest level. But yeah. usually in a monster movie, you have like Idris Elba or like, you know, Tom yeah. Cruise or somebody like fighting the monster, which by the way is the Korean name of the film, the monster. But mm. anyway, um, here we have a bunch of losers and <laughs> they are tasked with not really killing the the beast, but trying to find their daughter, you know, who has, who's basically the best of them. Yeah, (laughs) she really is. And it is really sweet. I was laughing really hard because that scene is fucking funny, but leading, I feel like Bong Joon-ho is so good at this because it really was genuinely touching because all of them were kind of mentioning their own things about her. Like, you know, the sister Namju is like, she's so beautiful in that picture. And um, it's just so sweet. And that's why then when it escalates to something so like absurd, it like almost makes you laugh harder. (laughs) This movie is so fucking funny. No, it was like, you know, tears in her eyes. Like, yeah. Enter the, the gym. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, this is the same gym that was used in Parasite. It looked similar, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, there's something in the, in the trivia about that. Yeah. So then there's this weird twist where the government says that there's a virus that the creature is giving off or something like that. If you come in contact with the creature, then you've been exposed to this virus, which actually mm-hmm. turns out to be a total lie but yeah everybody has to be quarantined and this part is just pretty gruesome to me um like the treatment of yeah they literally take him they get a bag like they hold him down and like you know shove his family members off him hold him down in a bag and zip it up over him like he's a dead body and just shuffle him away into like an ambulance it's that's traumatizing So yeah, they yeah they announced that there's like an unknown virus that the you know, American hero that was fighting with um, Gong Du, which I thought it was funny that they mentioned him, but not Gong Du at all, because they were both doing their best. But the American guy got his like arm eaten and he was in treatment, you know, for the deadly virus. So while they're in this, uh, you know, Gong Du's back with his family in this giant hospital area um and they they tell the the grandpa like don't let him eat like anything we have to do a bunch of tests on him tomorrow and in the middle of the night of course gongdu gets this like what is this food like he finds this can of food and it almost looks like the creature in a way weird slimy fish bits Um, yeah yeah it doesn't look appetizing at all there's a part in the beginning where you know he's telling his daughter, like, you know, I called you earlier. And she said, you think I can get like a signal on this phone? Also, it's so old. I'm too embarrassed to let anybody see it. And he later reveals to her, because, you know, his family runs a ramen shop. He's got this ramen bowl full of dimes and quarters. And he also says, how to petty, <laughs> how to petty get in there, that he's saving up money to get her a new phone. And so in the hospital, 
you know, after she's presumed dead, he gets a phone call from her and she tells him that she's trapped in this sewer area. It's this pit area where it's taken all of these bodies because he munches on them kind of, but also swallows them whole. And I guess also grabs them by his tail and just leaves them there. And perhaps he's waiting to eat her later. She pretends like she's dead whenever it comes by. But yeah, she tells him, you know, I'm, I'm trapped here in this big sewer, you know, it's me, like, hello, dad, are you there? And, but then her phone stops working. So Gongdo obviously tells his family, like, no, she's alive. And he's trying to explain this. He's, he, there's this, like, giant sheet, because he's, you know, behind this quarantine area. And he's trying to explain to them, like, she's, she's alive, you know? And they're like, wow it must be affecting his brain or something. Like, did you do a psychological evaluation on this guy? And he really isn't explaining it well because he's so hysterical. <laughs> but they won't even give him like a chance. At, <laughs> at one point, he's just trying to explain it in the most basic terms. Um, and he takes his phone and he's like, she was like this. And he puts it in his mouth. And then he grabs a bucket and spits the phone out. And he's like, now she's like this. And they're like, we don't know what, what's what's happening here. So the grandpa arranges with some people on the outside for them to escape. And, you know, they have this little scene where they jump in through this van and, and drive away from a cop that's desperately trying to get them on foot. And they, they also purchase some supplies um, from these gangsters, you know, in a map of the sewers in order to search for Hyun Seo. And these guys are like total scumbags and just take everything the grandpa has. And... Even when they leave, the family's like, these guys kind of like ripped you off. Like, this shit is not good. Like, what did you pay for this? <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're right. They're just kind of all, they're also really gullible. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't have any common sense. So uh, while they're searching, we see these two homeless boys, Seijin and Seiju, who, you know, are are around the the river area and trying to find some food. They go into the family's snack bar and, you know, grab, steal a bunch of things. The younger boy, Seiju, tries to take some money and Seijin is like, no, you can't do that. If you do that, then it's theft. And the little boy doesn't understand and he explains that there's like a tradition of, I think he, it's Sabo. And he says it's a game where basically, I don't remember exactly, but the the people who have less can take food. Yeah. I think it's called like sorry or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand it either, but apparently there's a tradition it's called quote looting culture. Um, but it's, it's a game. It's like, you can take like a watermelon or like something mm. like that. And like the, the adults might yell at you, but you're not going to be like tried for a crime or anything. Mm. If you're a kid. But yeah. So he's yeah making that distinction between, Taking money would be totally wrong, but but taking yeah. this food that we're actually going to consume, yeah, because he says we're hungry, yeah. So kind of makes sense to me. I'm kind of into it. Yeah, I get it. So yes, but when they leave, they are attacked and swallowed by the creature. Um, nothing lasts. So the giant creature returns to its little sewer pit and regurgitates them. Hyun Seo runs out to check on them. The older boy is dead. 
but Seiju is alive. And it is just so sweet how instantly she just kind of goes into like, because he's just a little bit younger than her, I think. And, you know, she's holding him and making sure she's all right and, you know, takes him to her little hidey hole. I don't know. I just found that really sweet. Me too. Yeah, the the parks there. Oh, gosh, this was such a sweet scene where they they go to the snack bar too. And I love this because there is noticeably stuff missing, but the grandpa doesn't seem to mind at all. You know, they all sit down and eat a meal and it's really sweet because then they imagine that Hyunseo is there. Like she kind of like slow as they're eating, you know, their little bowls of ramen, she kind of comes, emerges, and then they all start feeding her food. I thought that was her dream. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, that probably was her dream. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes sense. And then it cuts to her in the sewer. It's so sad because <laughs> that's such a sweet dream. It is a sweet dream. So the parks are, you know, searching these sewers. They're really exhausted and it's disgusting. They finally encounter the, sh- the creature and shoot at it. Oh, well, I did want to mention <laughs> there is a part where the parks are in their, yeah, in their food shack and Gongdu falls asleep and the other two siblings are kind of falling asleep. But the grandpa does take a second to be like, <laughs> he kind of says that Gongdu is just kind of like, he didn't have enough protein when he was little. He is the eldest of the three yeah. by a lot. Um, he's 36. There is a poster that shows their ages. I did pause and I was like, huh? He's 36. Namil is 25, I think. And Namju is 22. And he basically says, you know, I had to you know, do a lot of stuff. I wasn't always there. And he didn't have a lot of food. He did that sorry a lot and took food, but he didn't get enough protein. And now he needs to sleep a lot <laughs> and something about their mother too like i don't know if the mother like left the family or no yeah actually i think that's um hung hung so's mother left yes so but i don't know what happened to gong Du's mom yeah she also wasn't there so he was a single father um mm-hmm. raising this kid and yeah i love that he didn't get enough protein so now he has to sleep a lot yeah and he and he asked the two siblings to kind of cut him a break. And he says that there's this really effective part where he says that the cry of a parent who's lost a child is so loud, you can hear it like for miles. And, you know, and he's like, so saying like, it's your fault because you grabbed the wrong child. You can't say that. Um, yeah. And I thought that was a really sweet scene. Me too. Because um, even though I was like, yeah, he is dumb, but like he didn't mean to. All right, so so yes, now the family, they encounter the creature and start shooting at it. And as they're running, uh, the grandpa's like, you know, quick, I'm, I'm out of bullets. Give me another gun. Who has bullets? And Hongdu gives him his gun. He says he has one left. So they're running, and the grandpa gets to a point where, you know, the creature's right behind him, and he turns around to shoot him, and Hongdu counts on his fingers and realizes he's miscalculated because... The trigger clicks and then he turns around and waves for them that they have to keep running and just gets, and this is brutal, just gets knocked over by the creature and hits the pavement and hits his head. And then the creature grabs him and just slams him on the ground. So brutal. And doesn't even eat him, just leaves. And Hongdu is, of course, really upset and, you know, is holding him and then he goes, like, he he holds him and then runs away with his siblings and then goes back and puts a newspaper over his head. 
but then just can't bring himself to leave. And the army captures him and Nam Il and Nam Ju get separated from each other. So now Hong Du is just being held as another person who, you know, has been in direct contact. He's the biggest person of interest. So Nam Il meets with an old friend. Um, how do you pronounce this? Fat Guevara? Fat Guevara? I don't know. I didn't never heard his name. I didn't know that was his but I know name. the actor who played him he said he goes, I, he goes, I'm playing the fat friend. So Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he gets this friend to, you know, try to trace the call because, you know, they had mentioned to the police officer, can't you just trace her call? And they said, Well, you know, you think we can do that for you? So yeah, he's gonna get this friend to trace it. And as he's, you know, trying to get the coordinates, or at least a, you know, a a radius of area that she's in. The fat friend goes into another room and we see that there's all those people there. He's ratting his friend out to get a reward. <laughs> and there's a great scene where he's like, so is there like a tax deduction on that reward? And they explain, they explain no, it's, it's non-exempt. <laughs> I just love little details like that. Like he's about to sell out his friend who's looking for his niece. And he's like, yeah, so <laughs> how much money am I getting for <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, and he, but he even warns them, Hey, Namil is a, he's pretty, he's a, he's an escape artist and he does escape. He caps, he gets young Seo's location leaves, but kind of falls and eats it. So he texts Namju, you know, Hyun Seo is here at this bridge, um, at the North side, go help her. So now back to Hongdu, he is talking with this American scientist who is getting translated by a Korean scientist. And, you know, Hongdu is telling him, well, first off, they, they sedate him and then they try to get a tissue sample from him. And he's not sedated, but they just keep going and he's just screaming. It's really hard to watch because it also looks super because I had that happen. You know, I had to with my knee like. I mean, I know they couldn't do, it, but that shit hurt. <laughs> like that shit hurts so bad. Aren't they drilling into his brain? That happens later. Oh, sorry. So yeah, then you know this American scientist comes in, and you know he's telling them because he gets the text from Namil, and he's telling him, you know, my my daughter, she's here. And then this guy is kind of like, why didn't you, you know, report this to anyone? And he's saying, I did, but nobody listened to me. And he's like, you know, why didn't you talk to some? human rights organization or the news or something. And it is so sad because it's like he didn't think of that, but he didn't know what to do. And, you know, then he just kind of goes on a rant and is like, nobody's listening to me. And he cuts off the translator and he's like, stop, you know, cutting me off. Like, none of you are listening to me. None of you like care, you know, it's really sad. So then the American doctor talks in English to the Korean doctor and tells him like, yeah, I think it's right here. Like, in his brain, that's where he needs, you know, that's where the virus is. And thinking that um, Ong Du doesn't know English, he tells the Korean doctor that there was no virus in the American guy that supposedly died of the virus. They did a surgery to look for it, and he died of shock during the surgery. And there's been no signs of virus from anybody. And... <laughs> And there, there's another like great scene at some point where the news is talking about it and everyone is wearing a mask. And this one guy, while well, all these people are reading across the street, coughs and everybody's like, you know, starts inching away from him. That is how I feel um, when I cough in public. But it turns out Hongdu does know English. 
and he kind of turns and is like, virus isn't real. So then they lobotomize him. Um, they attempt to. Yeah. There's a scene where he's like, I really have like a medical, like, like this shit, like really like freaks me out, especially. And he's like held down, like his head is held down as they're slowly marking the point, you know, that they're going to go. It's just all very methodical. Meanwhile, he's trying to get to his daughter. So Hyun Seo, while she thinks that the creature is sleeping, makes this, you know, rope of shirts and tries to escape. She's, you know, she tells Sejo, you know, to stay there and she's going to go get some help. She's going to bring the military. She's going to bring everybody. She takes a running start to go on to, to, to jump up to grab the rope and has to jump on the creature who's sleeping. And then there's just a scene where we just see her stop in midair and we realize that he's holding her by his tail. We cut back to Hyun Seo and Seju in the sewer area. Hyun Seo decides to make a daring escape when the when the creature is sleeping. They've already made like a little rope out of like shirts that they've taken off of the dead bodies. And um, she takes like a running start having to jump on or run onto his back and jump to grab it. You see his eye turn, his like giant eye. And then she kind of freezes in midair because his tail is like wrapped around her and just sets her back down. So yeah, then we cut back to Kong Du and I, I absolutely love this scene because mind you, we know now that the virus isn't real, but this is like top secret information. So while this nurse is taking blood from him, he then grabs the needle and holds it up to her throat and he's like, I'll inject her. I'll do it right now. Everybody get away. And then he's like, 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 like it's a gun, like, you know, (laughs) like aiming it at people and like squirting a little bit of blood here and there. And everybody's freaking out because they think he has this like deadly virus. He busts open the door and it's just this like, kind of looks like a military air base or something. It's, it's very unexpected. And he again, just keeps like holding her hostage. Um, and uh, escapes the area. So <laughs> Nam Il, we cut to him. He meets a homeless man um, because he kind of had to take a little nap underneath the bridge because he got really fucked up from trying to escape. So the guy helps him. Uh, I, I love this scene too because he he at first, Nam Il just goes and like steals a bunch of these. Like, oh yeah, bottles will be good. And yeah, I'll take this bag. And the guy wakes up and just like hits him over the head with a bottle. <laughs> but then he's like, yeah, no, I'll help you. It's cool. Yeah, come with me. <laughs> so they prepare like Molotov cocktails while a guy tries to drive them right into, because basically where they're going is exactly where the government is planning to release a toxic chemical called agent yellow into the river to kill the creature and but the thing is there's this giant protest going on because people know that gongdu is being held and there's all these signs you can see of people saying like free him you know and so they've totally made it pass through security to this place where the chemical's gonna drop so like the cops are even just like we've given up you know we know people are gonna be there so Gongdu reaches the the area and um the creature appears and he can see Hyunseo's arm dangling out of its mouth and it's just this like horrible like heart-dropping moment. Um he chases it all the way to where the agent yellow is being released and it's this like giant 
this is such a gross comparison to make, but it almost looks like a cartoon fart cloud. Like that's like the color. And it's just this giant thick gas just being like, you know, streamed everywhere. And yeah, he comes across Namju, uh, the sister uh, who's, you know, appeared. (laughs) So yeah, the protesters that are there, the creature attacks them and the agent yellow is released. Everybody scatters and it stuns the creature. So Gongju pulls Hyunseo and Seju out of his, its mouth. She is dead, but she is clutching Seju. But he, nobody really notices Seju yet. Like, it's just this moment of, like, now real grief. Like, almost worse, obviously, than before because they had this hope of saving her mm-hmm. and they were too late. And because they didn't get any help from anybody. And so it was kind of like, sure, like beating the monster would have been really hard anyway but they didn't with the support of the military you know it's like they have its location if only anybody would have listened to them so gongju gets completely enraged and attacks the creature aided by namil namju and the homeless man um they set it on fire with the molotov cocktails you know namju shooting at it with her arrows and like just from just like the beginning of the movie gongju gets a pole And whereas before he kind of like swung and hit it on its tail, I think this time he just straight up stabs it, impales it like in its mouth and kills it. So everybody's mourning Hyunseo, but Gongdu goes over and realizes that Seiju is alive and revives him and, you know, is asking him like, you were with, you know, Hyunseo and he's, he says yes. And so then it's kind of like a fade to black. Next we see, uh, Sometime in the future, uh, Gangdu has inherited his father's snack bar and adopted Seiju. It's this really lovely moment because it kind of match. It's just Gangdu and Seiju, but it kind of matches the same vibe of when Hyunseo was, you know, thinking about them in the sewer. And, you know, it's like snowing outside. It's really pretty, and you know they're just watching the river. Gangdu does hear a noise. And picks up a double barrel shotgun to investigate, but it's nothing. Him and Seju enjoy, you know, their ramen meal together and ignore the broadcast on the TV that says that the entire aftermath of the incident was due to misinformation. And kind of scary how um, poignant that is today, (laughs) you know, almost (laughs) 20 years later. Yep, still a huge problem, maybe worse. (laughs) Yes, but I do like that moment where he just like does he turn it off with his foot? Does he turn off yeah, the I think with his so. foot? It's and like, yeah. And it's it's kind of like yeah, the world is fucked up and you know, and we went through a lot, but here we are together and we can have this moment and yeah. not be distracted by all this tragedy. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a very sweet moment to me. And um, I did want to say a couple um, a couple of things that I that I learned when watching the special features on the DVD. They had a really hard time with the cloud. Oh, um, really? Yeah. First, they they tried curry powder, but <laughs> oh, that sounds cause spicy. They, cause they wanted yellow, right? But um, it it didn't it didn't cause it didn't um, have the effect that they wanted, and they also were afraid that it would you know, hurt people, hurt people's eyes and nasal passages and stuff. So actually what they used was dirt. Um, (laughs) And it wasn't quite as yellow as Mm. um, 
uh, Bong Juno had wanted, but he's like, maybe I can fix it in post. But it did have that sort of like, like whoosh, you know, yeah. like, like a gas. Um, yeah. It's just kind of cool to see these guys like doing all these experiments, like, you know, off a bridge with all these different <laughs> substances, just trying to get the right effect. See, that's what is, that is the kind of creativity I want to see in a movie. I would, I mean, I know that that stuff is, you know, a process, but I think that imagine if it had all been CGI, you know, I just yeah. think I don't, I, I love that. What comes out of like trying to solve a problem? Oh, uh, Mac, I wanted to ask you, what phobia is that? It's ichthyophobia. That's the fear of fish. And clo- cloacophobia, the fear of sewers. I, I think I have a healthy fear of sewers. I don't want to be there. <laughs> I think it's cloaca. Cloacophobia. And I, and I think that's shit. I'm not sure if cloaca is shit, but isn't that the opening on a bird that's like the the sexual opening and also the asshole? Yeah, where they just... Everything. Yeah, everything. Everything but the kitchen sink. Maybe said. that's what a sewer is. It's everything. You know? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Did, and look at this picture. So, um, Wojo's I'll put it on social media, but... What? <laughs> They did the Demogorgon before Stranger Things, I'm noticing. What's that? Or have you watched Stranger Things at all? Stranger Things. Yeah, I watched um I thought you were talking about Strange uh, Beasts or, you know, the oh. series. No. Ugh. Uh yeah, I think I saw the first two seasons. There there's like a cre- and I only really know this from there's a video game I play where you can play as the Demogorgon. I keep almost saying Freddie Mercury. I mean Freddy Krueger. <laughs> um, <and>, you know, <laughs> characters like that. But its mouth looks just like that. So, Yeah, it kind of looks like a flower or maybe a sexual organ. Um, it's kind of got kind of like petals or lips. Yeah, especially um, inside, you know. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, in January 2015, a 10-meter-high, 10-ton sculpture of the monster featured in the movie was unveiled at Yoido Han River Park. <laughs> That's but, awesome. Yeah, That's the same the, river, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so mom actually mentioned this when I was talking about this scene, but the event in the beginning of the film is based on a real thing. In February 2000, at a U.S. military facility located in the center of Seoul, a U.S. military civilian employee named Mr. McFarland was ordered to dispose of formaldehyde by dumping it into the sewer system that led to the Han River, despite the objection of a South Korean subordinate. I love all those details. (laughs) That's so interesting. The government had attempted to prosecute Mr. McFarland in court, But the U.S. military refused to hand over the custody of Mr. McFarland to South Korean legal system. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, Later, a South Korean judge convicted Mr. McFarland in absentia. The public was enraged at the government's inability to enforce its law on its own soil. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Like, you did a horrible thing. Like, you... Like, that's... Who... There's, like, untold amount of damage that you did. Like, you just get to go home. That's so fucked up. It's good to be American and military. Yeah. In 2005, nearly five years after the original incident, Mr. McFarlane was finally found guilty in a court in his presence. 
However, he never served the prison sentence, and there have been no sightings of a mutant creature in the Han River. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) Koa Sung and Sang Kang-ho also starred as father and daughter in Bong Juno's Snowpiercer. I thought she looked familiar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought she looked familiar. Bay Duna has acrophobia, a fear of heights. But she, there's a really lovely segment where she had to learn how to, you know, shoot the bow and arrow and she got really good at it. She got really into it. And Bong said that they didn't need any CGI because she had a nine point hit. I don't know what that is, but that sounds pretty good. But yeah, she, she herself was just like, this is so much fun. And this, this suits me like a solo sport, you know? And, um, but she goes, you would not believe how heavy the bow is. And she, she was a little person. Yeah. um, She's tiny, but real strong. And then they also had to teach, um, I can't remember the actor's name who plays the father, but they had to teach him and Song Kang how to shoot rifles because they didn't know. And, um, that was kind of cool. They were just like shooting like, clay clay pigeons kind of thing but yeah they they didn't have any idea because there are that many guns in south korea what if that were true oh boy (laughs) (laughs) i just got done uh, i just got done talking about incarceration in my class and um i always show that clip of the norway incarceration Mm -hmm. system and the whole thing that happened on um, 22 July, the one, like the solo mass shooter that they had. And um, there's a kid in the back who I can't wait to see his presentation because he's really like on fire. Um, but I said, how many mass shootings has, have there been? And he, and he goes, more than 50, Ms. Hare. <laughs> he's just like on it. You know? Aww. Honestly, I love, I love like people like that that are like, I came in to like, yeah, like heated, you know, like passionate, passionate. Yeah, indeed. This is a little bit off topic, but I wanted to mention it since this is like kind of the only public platform I have. But I don't know if you've heard, but there's like a Harry Potter game come or it's already out. And it's the plot disregarding the fact that uh, JK Rowling's like, We'll get back to the fact that she's a huge transphobe, but the plot itself is super anti-Semitic. Like, literally the plot is that you have to stop this, like, goblin rebellion and they're stealing, like, children. Like, it was – and apparently one of the developers is also, like, a right-wing nut job. And anyways, J.K. Rowling makes money off of it and she directly uses that money to influence, like, UK legislation. And I just have – I've had, like, two separate conversations with groups of young people, you know, who are like my age, who I would have considered like, oh yeah, they're chill, nice people. And they were like, but I like Harry Potter. So I'm going to play it. And I, I, it makes me so mad. It makes me just so mad. Cause I'm like, not playing a game is maybe one of the easiest things you could do. So like, Mm -hmm. if that's too hard for you, like, that's where you draw the line of, like, well, I support people, but I need to play Harry Potter game. Like, when are you going to step up when it's something that's actually difficult? And it's just really frustrating. So I just want to say, if you did not know that J.K. Rowling was a huge transphobe, she is. And I can't stop anybody from purchasing a game, but 
if you do, to me, that's just like you drawing your line in the sand saying, I don't really give a shit about Jewish or trans people or like people of color because also like a lot of her characters have really fucked up names. Like one of the only black characters' names is Kingsley Shacklebolt. And then there was Cho Chang, you know, it's just like, why are you dying on this hill? So I just had to say that I feel really passionate about it and uh, just wanted to put that out there. (laughs) Mac, did you mention the name of the game? It's called like Hogwarts Legacy. Um, It's I can't escape it. I'm seeing ads for it everywhere. And it's just like, like, I was a huge Harry Potter fan as a kid. So like, how do you think? like I would feel you know it's like something that I love you know and then I'm like oh it was written by like the worst person ever that really sucks you know but like if it's not a group that you're a part of you can just be like well but I still like it I don't know it's super disappointing and um I used to really love the whole uh, mythology around J.K. Rowling, how she, Mm -hmm. you know, made up all these stories and she told them to her son, you know, at bedtime and she was poor and all this stuff. But um, now knowing, I mean, there were, there were criticisms about Dobby, the the house elf and about. There's just slavery in (laughs) Harry Potter. (laughs) And also the, the caretakers of Gringotts also. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So they're, they're good with money. There were suggestions along the way, but her transphobia is so vicious and she does have a huge influence. And my thing is succession is coming back soon. And Mm -hmm. uh, Brian Cox turns out is a Rowling apologist what he said was, well, that's her opinion. And I thought people were supposed to be able to have their opinions. And the thing is, yes, you can have your opinion. But if you, there's a difference between having an opinion and spewing, spewing hatred that puts people at risk of losing uh, yes. their lives. And I was so- saying this too, of just like, we all like things that have that are made by problematic people. Like that's just because people are in, you know, not infallible, and it. So, but yeah, that is like the clear difference of like, is your person just a person with ideas? You know, it's sitting around in their head, but they're not actually like doing anything. Like I, you know, it would still be like a shitty thing, but it is just worlds apart from somebody who is literally saying, I am taking your money to do this. Like she has said such things. Like somebody asked her, how do you sleep at night? And she literally said, when I look at my paycheck, like yeah, this woman is indefensible. Hey, I, yeah. It, it, and last night when I couldn't sleep, of course, uh, I was doom scrolling and <laughs> there's a bill that passed the North Carolina Senate that would disallow teachers. If a student comes out to a teacher, they have to immediately inform the parent. Oh my God. Even if the child might have an abusive home, um, it hasn't passed the house yet. And um, the, the governor will probably veto it anyway, but it's just disturbing that there's just been this like flood of you know, anti LGBTQ people bills, just like uh, a deluge. It's time to suit up everybody and get, get real. And, and let's look out for each other because 
um, even if you're not trans or you don't know anybody who's trans, we have an obligation to take care of each other. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Stay to the world minute. (laughs) (laughs) Stay the world minute over. (laughs) Let's get back to the, uh, do you want to just jump to letterboxd? Sure. Oh, so, the first one's in Spanish, but go ahead. Okay, I'll try it. What does Letterbox have to say about it? Well, Luis Henrique said, gave it a half star and said it said, que medda? Merda. Do you, med, yeah. I can't roll my R's. You shit. say it again. Que merda. Oh. oh. What shit? Well, I'm sorry, Luis. <laughs> <laughs> um, Julie underscore Winward gave it a half star and said, I didn't like it. Very silly, and it looked like a fish. I would not recommend it. <laughs> Very silly. It, does it is a like silly a movie. I mean, and that was intentional. You know, yeah. Juno you know, wanted a creature that looked Asian. And, oh. um So that's there why it looks like that. Cordelia Grimm, which, by the way, is an awesome name. Really great one. Yeah. Gave it one star and said, I would rather go through middle school again than have to sit and watch this movie. <laughs> I think that's such a <laughs> That's intense. Yeah, but get get your then than distinction straight. Sorry, Cordelia. <laughs> Jenny gave it one star and said, a bit funny at times, although I don't know if it was supposed to be funny. It, it was. was. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was completely serious. When um, you know, Song Kongo was like falling on his ass and being a bumbling fool, he was playing that, you know, completely seriously, you dumbass. Aussie <laughs> <laughs> 2002. Again, I that one I get that that Jonathan Colton line now. Like, I can't believe there are people born in the 90s. I can't believe there are people born born past 2000. <laughs> Um, but Ozzy 2002 gave it five stars and said, get yourself a monster flick that has two great monsters, evil fishy and the Americans Mm -hmm. humans are the real monsters, you know, (laughs) Solly Bowden gave it five stars and said, bong is a miraculous filmmaker. He manages to craft films, which anyone on the face of the earth could enjoy. He binds the camera snob and the film bro hand in hand in harmony. Joshua Abraham gave it five stars and said, if I hear someone talking about the best actors of all time and Song Kong-ho doesn't come up, I'm shooting them in the face. That was a recent watch, too. That was 2nd of January, 2023. Yeah. Um, And finally, Big Noodley gave it five stars and said, this is a better film than Parasite, but you are all not ready for that conversation. Um, I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> um, let's have the convo because I want to hear why you'd say such a thing. Like, I don't mean that rudely, but like, uh, I think Parasite is undoubtedly like, like, and it would make sense if you made a film 20 years later, you'd probably be better at it. Um, there's a surprise coming up when we get to the letterbox reviews um, for Parasite, but just spoiler a friend of the show has a similar take. Oh, we're going to have to fight? Maybe. Well, let's rate this in bottles of formaldehyde. Uh- <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, at least four. I might yeah, give I think it- I'd give it four. 
I might give it my patented 4.25. So like a quarter of the bottle. (laughs) (laughs) There are problems with it. Um, It's a kind of a kitchen sinky kind of movie. You know, you've got social criticism. You've got comedy. I mean, you've got a lot of like genre mixing, which is fine because Bong Joon-ho knows how to do that. But um, sometimes the pacing is a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's... These are, they're similar in length, Parasite and The Host, but I feel like Parasite, you do not feel the two hours, but I do feel like with The Host, you will, by the end, be like, okay, what's, uh, is this going to wrap up? (laughs) And you might not, you have to pay really close attention, which isn't necessarily a criticism, but sometimes we keep having, I... I'm still interested in this conversation about is it a a fault of the movie if you have to see it more than once to get it? Hmm. Now, also, as an American, I don't know that much about, you know, what it's like to live in South Korea. And I I mean, I do know some because I've done research and stuff. But so and also, I really like this actor and this director. And I know that they're both around my age. And South Korea went from a dictatorship to a democracy in their lifetimes, about the time when when all of us were in college. So um, I know that that's like super important. You can see it in all of Bong Joon-ho's movies. Um, there's usually a protest of some kind that goes on, Memories of Murder. I think Okja has one. So it's just something that he comes back to over and over, just like homeless people, just like institutionalized people wrongfully. Um, institutionalized. Um, he's got a thing about <laughs> w- girls being preyed upon. You know, there classism. are themes. Yeah, I feel classism. like classism's in like every of them. Absolutely. And here, you know, criticism of the military, definitely. But uh, to be fair, this was based on a true event. So I yeah. think it's perfectly reasonable. Like I, as an American, I do not feel like it was a wrongful portrayal totally believe that that would happen and uh totally uh, not surprised that you know the guy got away with it too mm-hmm. <laughs> like as an american who's lived here forever i can say yep that tracks what have we learned L- hey people in power L- listen please i know this won't be heard but uh <laughs> ironically <laughs> but um <laughs> I think there's a lot of things that could be solved by, I mean, I'm not, not the first, won't be the last person to say this, but like to have the people making the laws of your society and they have no fucking clue what, like what anybody's life is like who, you know, doesn't make a shit ton of money or doesn't, you know, live in a certain level. It's like, we should have poor people be, (laughs) well, there should not be poor people, you know, but it's like. How can anything ever happen for us if it's just a whole bunch of like old privileged people making the rules? Yeah, that's not a good system. It's not going to end well. It's not ending well, I should yeah. say. Reagan? It's so funny that, um, you know, The Last of Us is super, super popular right now and I'm waiting till it's all out to watch mm-hmm. it. But um, I was listening to a podcast today talking about how we just seem so attracted to the idea of living in a post-apocalyptic world. And I'm like, y'all, yeah. I mean, <laughs> give it five minutes because, I mean, we're real close. So, 
if you want to be brave and you want to think that you're the the one that would make it, you know, survivor style, you know, let put that to the test a little bit. Write a letter to a senator or some shit. Like, do something or have a conversation with somebody that you you wouldn't normally. Yeah. Make eye contact with a homeless person. I mean, just I, do something. I really feel like, I mean, and there's... You, you can start small and even starting small will make a big difference. Like I do really like TikTok and I use it to try to like look at the viewpoints of other people because people just really candidly share. So, you know, it's like I follow a lot of black women and, you know, it's like listening to things that like I would never experience firsthand and therefore do not organically come into my head of like, this is a thing people deal with, you know? And it's like, even just seeing somebody else as a person, hearing them share like what they're going through, like will do so much more than just thinking like, well, I will just not be racist. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, there's like way more work you need to do. Like you need to really work to see people as like people and listen to them and think about it and then do something. Yeah. And it's hard for me too, because I, I write off people all the time, especially if they're <laughs> in power and they have a lot of money. I mean, right there. I'm like, how can you have a clear mind? How can you, maybe you don't remember, or maybe you never knew what it was like to not have all that power and money. Uh, I have a kid in my class. He's, you know, I so great. I just have these challenges that pop up and they just teach me to be more creative, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think I told you about the blurters last time, but I mean, I have this kid in the back of my class and he's basically like, we were talking about wrongful imprisonment and he's like, well, I mean, they were found guilty by a jury. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Okay, white boy, like, so somebody's I, never thought anybody could lie before or be wrong before. Interesting. Or be influenced, unduly influenced, or just, I mean, whatever. But, I mean, I'm like, you saw the slide when I showed you all of the people in this country who were executed and later found to be innocent, right? Like, you like, were awake when I showed you that, you know, those stats, like, it's like they don't see it. It is willful. Yeah, ignorance. It's just they don't see it. They don't want to see it. So it's like la 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 la. And it's like, well, I'm. It never happened to me, or you know, it never won't could happen, happen to, to me. me. <laughs> won't ever really, happen. Look up Neil Brennan's bit on on uh, going for ride-alongs. Um, that is a very funny bit because he's like, that's the only you know only white people request to go on ride-alongs because I want to see it. When are we? <laughs> ever going to get the chance to be in the back of a cop car. <laughs> God. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's, um, this was made in, in, you know, quite a while ago, but a lot of the themes, you know, persist mm-hmm. um, environmental themes and, and so on. And so don't also don't write off movies before the year 2010. Yeah. And like, sure. You can tell, like you you can see that this movie was made you know in the early 2000s with the with the CGI of like the creature but i really think it's not like compare i'm such a hater i really hate like the the CGI mess that is like marvel movies now like 
Um, I, I really, this is at every Marvel fan. I don't, it looks like Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I saw a comparison like that online and I was like, yeah, that's that's exactly what they look like now because the suits are CGI, the background CGI. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think it looks any worse than that. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, watch it. It's not really a monster movie. I mean, it is, but like the reviewer said, you know, monster could be taken in different ways. And it's really about this family kind of getting yeah. their shit together mm-hmm. um, when it when it counts. And even though the result, I mean, obviously it's still tragic. There is redemption finally at the end for Gong Du. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, despite the fact that he didn't get enough protein when he was younger. <laughs> and got lobotomized. Man, he's been he through it. He didn't really get lobotomized. But they drilled into his head, right? Yeah, but that was kind of a turning point for him, too. <laughs> I think Stirred they- it up exactly how he needed it to be. <laughs> a little tune-up. Can I sign up for that? That's the way that works. <laughs> Do you have a favorite scene and or death? Um, come back to me on that one. What about you? Um, I mean, I think that that opening scene of the chase uh, is is pretty great with all the chaos. And I love that scene where he's, you know, holding the bloody syringe like a gun. Uh <laughs> A lot of the action scenes are just really good. He's really good at having like coordinated scenes because I think the escape scene with Namil is also really fun to watch. Most of the movies, my favorite. <laughs> I do like the the scene in in the gym. I think that's that's yeah, yes, really that funny. So and I've I've used that clip in class, and I just I just think it's amazing that you could take you know this tragedy where like you know, tens of people have died yeah. and make it funny. I mean, yeah. Make it genuinely trick. funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I just kind of always like it when Song gang is like on the screen. Yeah. And he's so dumb in this, but he's still so sweet and he's totally a different character in the next movie we're going to talk about. You ready? Yes. Here's the brief plot summary from IMDb. Green and class discrimination threatened the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. I don't know if you'd call it symbiotic. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Isn't symbiotic the antithesis yeah, of are... parasite, parasitic? Yeah, it's like they're both equal. I guess they The didn't movie's wanna... literally called Parasite. I guess they didn't <laughs> want to use the word parasitic, but... Um... Anyway, words matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't. Th- th- okay, I didn't really think about that, but that is the movie's called <laughs> Symbiotic is not that. <laughs> well, IMDb, you done fucked up. <laughs> this was directed by Bong Juno. The screenplay was also by Bong Juno and Han Jin Won, and the story was by Bong Juno. It stars Song Gang Ho, Lee Sun Kyun. Cho Yo Jung, Chui Ushik, Pak Sodam, Jung E Jin, and cinematography was by Hong Kyung Pyo. We've seen Chui Ushik and Train to Busan. He is the 
baseball kid. Um, oh, oh yeah. Everybody loves Puck so- Sodom because she's just so lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, these are, these are uh, very well established. And Who's Park Saddam in the movie? The sister. Ah, okay. This was released on the 21st of May 2019 at Cannes and uh, the 30th of May 2019 in South Korea, and it has a running time of 132 minutes. I watched it on DVD, Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we meet, our, we meet the Kim family. This is the family led by... Song Gang and Bong Joon Ho is one of these people who storyboards like every single shot of the film. Wow. Um, I, ha- I have the book of that. That was a gift um, from one of my friends. But the first shot of the movie is from the basement um, apartment of the Kims, and it's there's a a bunch of like wet socks hanging on a hanger in the window. Um, there's a bit about the stink bugs and. Uh, they, they are in the house. They don't have Wi-Fi because they've been stealing their neighbor's Wi-Fi. And she finally put a password on it. Um, and they're folding pizza boxes for money. When the fumigation truck comes by, and this is a real thing, um, at least, it, well, apparently 2019, it's still going on. And there's a comment. I didn't know that this was still going on. But I remember living in South Korea in um, 1996. and I And the the fumigation trucks would come through and I was what? just like, yeah, it was just amazing. You don't God. want to be behind one of those trucks. And they leave the windows open. Cause they were like, no, no, it'll kill the bugs. That's free extermination. <laughs> they're all just coughing and like hacking a lung up. It's, it's dingy. Their clothes are, you know, kind of dingy and, um, but I do like this family. They're all working together to fold the pizza boxes and, and stuff, but they don't do a, a great job. And, <laughs> uh, so they don't get all the money that they were expecting to get. But the son charms the pizza girls, and this will become a theme throughout the movie. Um, the charm of this family is unmatched. So a friend, Min, comes by with the Scholar's Rock and um, the son thinks it is so metaphorical. And uh, he suggests that Kiyu, the son, take over tutoring for Dai. What does the like rock mean? It's like gives material wealth to the person who has it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And I, there's something in the trivia about this. I think it was Bong Juno's grandfather collected them or something like that. And there's a really great shot. Well, if, if you go to YouTube... There is that series. I don't know who does it, but anyway, it's where directors break down a scene of their own movie. Kiyu, um, Bong Juno are breaking down the scene where Min is talking to Kiyu and they're drinking at the soju stand and a bus drives, you know, down the slope behind Kiyu just as he's deciding that it would be a good idea to, to commit fraud against this family and mm-hmm. present himself as something that he's not. But the pitch is so great. He's like, look, you've taken the, the college entrance exam four times. <laughs> you know the exam. And 
you know, you did your military service, like you're a good guy and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, but I don't have a degree. Like, it's not okay for me to say that I do. And he's like, ah, same difference, you know? And also he says that he likes the girl he's tutoring. Men likes the girl he's tutoring. And she's 16. This is a thing that is weird. This is really (laughs) deeply disturbing. But um, he's like, he's like, but if, but if she's with you, I know she'll be safe. Which is not, um, you know, kind of a uh, an insult, I think, to Kiyu. <laughs> yeah, and anyway. uh, what was I going to say? He he mentions that the mom is a little bit. Simple. I don't know how exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's simple. Um. <laughs> he, he he uses the English word simple, but I guess it, it's also been adopted into Korean vernacular. So um, he thinks that she's simple. <laughs> when we meet her <laughs> well because his sister makes the yes mm-hmm. she she <laughs> so great. she's like an in she's in an internet cafe and she's just like using photoshop to like just <laughs> <laughs> on the korean version he go he is a supposedly a graduate of yonsei university but in the English version, he's a graduate of Oxford University. <laughs> <laughs> and she's smoking in the cafe and you're not supposed to be doing that. But she just she, like taps her ashes out. <laughs> Whatever. She does what she wants. She's so cool. And I love um, the dad is like he like the way when they show him. I, I love this family so much. Mr. Kim is like so proud of her. Like, he's so proud of her. And he's like, if only there was a school for making forgeries. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that all this family's on the same page. Like, they're like, nice gig. (laughs) Absolutely. So he goes to, well, there's a lot of, uh, there's the symbolism sometimes is, is, I don't want to say it's like heavy handed, but it's hard to miss, right? So they're Mm -hmm. living in a basement. The parks are living on top of a hill. Um, so it's not that that difficult to get the symbolism there. But it is it is kind of nice when we see him just kind of like craning his neck, like going up this hill. And then when he goes into uh, the gate, um, he assumes that the housekeeper is Mrs. Kim. And she's like, oh, I just work here. No, 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 no. Come on in. And um, he does almost a 360 where he sees that. The whole backyard is like built up with all this greenery and stuff, some of which was CG, but. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I couldn't even tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a huge green lawn, um, giant like windows. Oh, man. I Watching it over again, I felt like I got a lot more symbolism. I, I feel like, could you even connect like the park's like huge glass window to like the tiny little windows that they have? Yeah, absolutely. And there is a, a, a shot that I really like right at the beginning of Song Gang Oh, like looking up, you know, outside of the basement window and the sun is shining on his face and his eyes are closed. So mm-hmm. just to get that little bit of sunshine, you know, from this really tiny uh, window, I just think is such a beautiful thing. And how the the parks really take what they have for granted. Yeah. When we meet Mrs. Kim, she's passed out drunk in her backyard. <laughs> in the middle. In 
the middle of the day. Um, yeah. I love her. There's a, <laughs> there's a whole thing in this movie about crossing the line. And so you could do a whole study. Um, this mm-hmm. house was built to have a bunch of, of lines. And so this point can be made over and over. But as Kiyu is looking outside the window, the housekeeper literally crosses the line of the window that he's looking through so that she can clap her hands and wake up the wife. Uh, <laughs> I just really love all that stuff. <laughs> well, when he meets Dai, he really, you know, does does an act and he's being observed by the wife, uh, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Park. Um, but he... It's just all this bullshit stuff. He's and he's just trying to give her these strategies and stuff like that. But he says, you know, you've got to tackle the, these problems and don't be, you know, don't be shy. And then he grabs her hand and it's like, oh, you know, what is what is he doing? And he's grabbing her to show her that her pulse is racing, <laughs> but it's not racing because <laughs> she's nervous about the test. It's racing because she's like, boy, strange guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> But but Mrs. Park is like enthralled. There is um, one detail that I really like about this is um, he's obviously hired. She hardly looks at the documents. I mean, mm-hmm. if he's been recommended by men, then you know she's happy with that. But when she's getting the money from the envelope that she would have given to men, she she checks it and then she takes out a couple of bills and then gives it to Kiyu, which I I, I don't know. I just like that really. And- I think she does say that he that she's giving him extra money. Extra, too. right? Yes. <laughs> Straight up lies. Yep. Um, so they also have a, a son, Da Song, and um, <laughs> he's <laughs> he's a wild child. He's obsessed with like Native American stuff, and he's just joined the the Cub Scouts, I guess. And um, he's just kind of a kid. I don't know that he's all that weird. Yeah, um, he's just not being quiet. But like <laughs> the wife is like, I mean, look at him. He's just like so crazy, just like running around. <laughs> <laughs> and they look at they have like a whole family portrait and one of his drawings. <laughs> and he's like, they're both looking at it with such seriousness. Yeah. And uh and um you know, the the son is like, wow, is it like um like a chimpanzee or something like that. She just goes, it's a self portrait. <laughs> and then he's, he's like, like, Oh, he takes a minute. Yeah. Oh yes, of course. He's, you know, he's like, he's so wise or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is great because the, the wife wants to believe that her son is a genius mm. and that her daughter, you know, has like intellectual difficulties. And I just think this is a great comment on probably any, I mean, any society, yeah. Uh, but especially in South Korea, there's definitely a preference for male children, and uh, and and we see this a number of times. You know, uh, Mr. Park comes home loaded up with gifts for the little boy, and um, his his birthday is like super important. They stop everything, you know, for his birthday a couple of times. Yeah, poor poor girl. <laughs> So uh, Kiyu is like, oh, you know, I, I, I think I do know somebody who can help with your, 
with your son. Oh gosh, but her family moved to Chicago and I'm not sure if she's available, but let me see if I can, you know, he's look- so good. <laughs> he's really good. And so, um, Jessica, who's actually, uh, Kiyu's sister is hired by the family. And that interview process is art <laughs> because she, <laughs> She just like finagles her way in. Um, I love the way she she says that the lower quadrant of the kid's drawing is what we call the schizophrenia zone. <laughs> and she's like, look, it's there in all of them. <laughs> and the mother's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and she's like, did something happen to him in first grade? You know, it's like a psychic. Did something happen to him in first grade? I mean, in a whole Anything. year, something would have happened to this child. Um, but the wife is like, oh. you know, it's like- <laughs> and she and and quote unquote Jessica is so like even more masterful than um, Kiwo because because. The mom has to be a part of like the lesson, but she immediately is like, no, no, no adults. I never, I never teach. (laughs) But when she comes back in, he's being very polite. And so she's just like, amazing. (laughs) And when uh, Jessica is like sitting at the table and she's like, uh, Dasong, go back up to your room. Like she tells the, the boy to go and he does this deep bow to her. So she she's like an alpha dog. Like she just like takes control <laughs> of the situation. Jessica scams her way into four two hour sessions per week. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and the driver is told to drive her home. She insists on, on getting off at the station. He's very persistent. Like, I'll drive you like to your door um, kind of thing. And she's like, I'm meeting my boyfriend at the station. And then she gets the idea to slip off her panties. And we're not sure what that's all about, but she has a plan in mind there. And so when, sorry, when Mr. Park finds the panties, <laughs> he puts them in this like envelope <laughs> And she pulls them out like with tongs or something. And like, she's- <laughs> they're so like, so it's such a scandal. They're so scandalized by this. It- <laughs> and it's all about how the driver was poor. Um, and he crossed the line because they think that he had sex with his girlfriend mm-hmm. in the front of Mr. Park's car. Um, and Mr. Park's like, why wouldn't he do it in the backseat? Why did he have to cross the line? <laughs> they're like this guy's a scumbag but mr park's like can you just fire him like just come up with some like bullshit reason and just and she's like absolutely i feel so bad this is something i noticed more of like i this wife she is tasked with like the hardest of like having to let people go and i was just thinking that would be my fucking nightmare like I could never fire anybody and I don't know what I would do. I usually just say like, uh, no, no, thank like, Oh, a f- somebody from like the firefighters association called me yesterday and was like, can we count on your support? And I don't know why I didn't just like hang up when he called, 
But I was like, uh, do you have a website I can go to? You know, I'll go to it after. And he's like, well, I can walk you through right now because we need to get a receipt for this account. And I was like, I'm really sorry, but I actually can't help. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm up. like, I'm not gonna, I can't, you know? <laughs> right. I, that's very hard. I mean, any kind of conflict can be hard, but I think I, I just actually started rewatching Lodge 49, which I don't think that you ever got into, but mm-hmm. um, our hero, Wyatt Russell, gets a job um, stuffing envelopes as a temp worker. And it turns out that the envelopes are for firing people. (laughs) And so, and he, he was hired. I mean, he's, he's a complete loser, but he's been hired because nobody else wants to do this job because they're basically over the course of five years, they've been letting people go from this one company in town. (laughs) And it's just, um, you know, you see people, you know, coming into the agency basically to get their separation package and just like leaving like in tears or enraged. <laughs> you know? Getting but, fired over like letter mm. would be so <laughs> that would be so like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't even imagine. So. Jessica suggests that she might know somebody that like her, her, her uncle had, had known this guy. Cause she's like, isn't an older driver better than a younger driver? Um, and, and, um, of course Mrs. Park is like, Oh yes, I guess that's true. You know, he has more experience and he wouldn't be getting involved in these shenanigans kind of thing. And, um, she uses some English here and she says that she's deadly serious that she's interested in meeting uncle Kim. I, there's a lot of like moments where I I was wondering what the significance was where both Mr. And Mrs. Park will just like have one like English word that they'll say. Yeah. I think there's sort of this fetishization of American culture as a symbol of wealth and success. Yeah. Cause the son, yeah. Being really into like, she specifically mentions like we had to get this from America. But I think that's also really artfully done because the son's obsessed with Native American culture. And of course, white people couldn't be successful unless they like wiped out basically a whole race of people. So, you know, white people are only successful when they, you know, commit genocide or, Mm -hmm. you know, literally enslave people and exploit them and exploit their labor. So, Yes, they're obsessed with this idea of success and wealth, but it's a false idea. And the fetishization also of Native American or Indian culture, you know, the kid has a teepee in his backyard. and Yeah, really like like turning it into a toy or a costume rather than like, like he's not actually interested in Native American culture. He's interested in these toys. That are really offensive, you know? <laughs> right. Oh, I like this. So Q gets his father, you know, ready to to go for oh, his job. Yes, this seems so good. So they do a couple of things. One, they go to a Benz dealer and they and, you know, he sits in the car and he's like learning where all the buttons are and all the features. And uh, the, <laughs> the sales guy is like, guys are spending a lot of time, you know, like in that car. <laughs> So they just get out and go to the next car. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Mr. Park 
Also, he works uh, for a company called Another Brick, um, which I think is kind of funny because there's a Pink Floyd song called Another Brick in the Mm. Wall. So I think that might be a reference there. But they also um, have an acting lesson in the middle of this where Kiyu is trying to get his father, um, Kitak, to like learn this, you know, (laughs) learn this dialogue as he's um, talking to Mrs. Park and trying to get the housekeeper fired. That would be like the last piece of the puzzle. So the mom can. Well, it's just, uh, I just wrote in my notes, the peach operation. Um, It's such a masterful scene. This is just amazing. So uh, Dai tells Kiyu that she loves peaches. They're her very favorite fruit, but they can't have them because the housekeeper has this severe allergy to peaches. And then we see, anyway, we see the sister like steal a peach um, from, <laughs> <laughs> from a stand. And then um, Kiyu, like with a razor blade is just scraping off the fuzz and I'm he puts it, it like into a little vial and he just, as he's leaving, he bows to her and then he just like flicks the little fuzz onto the back of her neck. And then when he's about a block away, he hears her coughing. So they know that that's going to be effective. So the housekeeper like blows up, like she gets like all like hives and um, swelling on her face. And she goes to the hospital where key tech uh, sees her, does a selfie, catching her with his phone. Um, <laughs> and then he shows the, you know, oh my goodness, I was... Is this her? Is this your housekeeper? He shows to Mrs. Park. And um, um, she's like, oh yeah, she is. And he goes, well, you know, I don't want to get her into trouble, but I overheard her conversation and she was saying that she had TB. And um, Mrs. Park is like, oh, no, 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 that could never be. And he's like, yes, I'm very sure that that's what she said. And I mean, you have a young child in the house and it just isn't safe, you know. And and so (laughs) when we see them like practicing the monologue, like as he's like, first, he's like, you know, really like, it's not safe. And the son's like, yeah, you're up here. You want to take it down, down here. so fun to watch and then it cuts you know between him actually telling mrs park about it um masterful it is so so great i mean it just really makes you love this family so much that they're just i mean even though they're doing you know a terrible thing um you know you can see why they're doing it and you're on their side and i'm I'm (laughs) the piece de resistance is that she throws like uh, she That's has like right. a tissue that she throws away and Mr. Kim comes over and squirts a little bit of hot sauce that we had seen earlier been squirted on like a pizza, but it looks just like blood. And he, when Mrs. Park turns, he just pulls it out and looks so like, oh man. And she's <gasps> she covers her mouth and she, you know, she looks, you know, defeated. And <laughs> it's a really, that whole sequence is piece of art just belongs in the MoMA as you yes. used to say. Mr. Park is talking to Kitak and he's like, Oh man, this like really sucks. Like you got to take me out to dinner. We need to go get some ribs because my wife is this terrible cook. She let that, the housekeeper quit like suddenly. I don't even know why. And um, so my wife's a terrible 
housekeeper. She's a freaking. <laughs> that's her job. That's like uh, she's a homemaker, but yeah. she has no skills in this area whatsoever. Um, which I think is also pretty funny that you know they have everybody taking care of all of the all of these things. Yes. That um, you know, uh, um, uh, somebody without the means just has to do for mm-hmm. themselves. But anyway, <laughs> so he texts like, oh. Um, my wife told me about this service called The Care. It's in English um, mm-hmm. on a business card. And he's like, yeah, they tried to recruit me. But, you know, I, I had already taken the job with you. And so I, you know, politely <laughs> declined their offer. And he's like, oh, that's really amazing that you turned down this prestigious company um, to work for me. And, you know, he's it's like, a very like when he gives the business card over, it reminds me of American Psycho because yes. <laughs> Mr. Yeah, Mr. Park is like, oh, this is a nice business card. You can tell it's you know very fancy. It's like, <laughs> they're so good at duping them. <laughs> yeah, they really are. But we also have the conversation about crossing the line mm-hmm. and, the only problem that Mr. Park ever had with the old housekeeper is that, you know, she ate for two. Like she always seemed to like eat a lot. Um, so that'll be important later. <laughs> but now mom is in the house as well. And there's this whole, you know, little montage about that. That's very funny. But Da Song says that Kitek and the wife smell the same. And so does Jessica. Mm-hmm. She also smells the same. And so they realize that it's the basement smell that mm-hmm. they're all carrying around in their clothes. And so they're going to have to, I think, I don't know if they're actually going to do this, but there's conversation about getting different laundry soap and like doing different loads of laundry for each of them so that they're not found out. It's Dasong's birthday and the Park family decides that they want to go camping for for his birthday. When does she give the, like, when does she talk about what, what was so like what the trauma was? What trauma? Like when she, I don't remember if she explains it to the mom or the sister, but somebody asks like, what happened to him? Like, what was the event that happened to him in first grade? And she explains that he quote unquote saw a ghost. I think that is when they come back home from the part with the, the, Oh, okay. When she's eating the Ramdan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the park family goes camping for Dasong's birthday and the Kim family makes themselves at home. Um, and I just love that part too. Me too. They're sitting on the lawn. Mom was a competitive. I don't know what that is. Shock put. Yeah, it's not shot put. Shot puts like this. Oh yeah. Um, but she, she she throws a hammer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but there was a there was a picture in the in the house of her medal. That, oh. So she was like a oh, competitive. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. whatever she was, um, she had gotten pretty good. And so she's she's doing that, and and the, the rest of them are cheering her on and. Okay, this is the scene, I think, that doesn't make it a five-star movie for me when they're getting drunk. Really? Because only um, Song Gang-ho, to me, seems like a convincing drunk. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to write a paper at some point. <laughs> About <laughs> Good and bad drunk performances. <laughs> I can speak from experience, but he does a great job. Um, mm-hmm. And the rest of them are acting drunk. And mm-hmm. so it's a little distracting, but there's some funny things that come out. Um, I love that- this whole scene. I feel like, like, and again, watching it over again, I saw so much more too. I get, like like we said, the family is so sweet. Like he was like telling his sister, you know, you you belong in a place like this. Like you just look perfect. And he's mentioned that, you know, when she was in like the bath, like this luxurious bathroom, he was like, you looked right at home. And then at the same time, <laughs> right before Mrs. Park left, she was explaining what the dogs um, eat and one of them was this jerky treat and she's just been chewing on one <laughs> of the jerky treats the whole time he's saying this. <laughs> and it's like you you don't like they don't mention it until like really a few minutes later but if you catch it it's just so funny <laughs> but she the the wife is saying thing pretty you know un un flattering things about her husband and he uh, seems to get really angry and he grabs the front of her shirt and like, that's enough out of you or something like that. And then she just breaks and starts laughing and he starts <laughs> laughing. And then he's like, I really had you going kids, didn't I? You know? Um, so they, <laughs> they are a very lovable family. And I love this conversation they have because I think it's the Mr. Kim who expresses, you know, le- yeah, saying like, you know, they're it's kind of sad like they're such nice people, you know, and the mom mentions like, yeah, it's because they're rich. Like they mm-hmm. we are the way that we are because, you know, we're actually, you know, living this life that's full of hardships, but they have no reason, you know, like and I think that's just such a great commentary i've been seeing a lot this is kind of something i've had to personally like come to like like look at which is this idea of like it's not even just an idea it's real of like politeness really being a way to exert like white supremacy and this idea that you know like we all have to act a certain way you know and if you don't like the movie you know you're crossing the line and that is something that i think maybe is easy to do if you there's no conflict, you know, like you have nothing that really, I mean, of course, rich people still have some like things that stress them out. This is not a happy family, like in any way, but, you know, being, being nice to them and, you know, being seeming like nice people is something that's easier to do. Yes. That's, that's the, that's the debate. I mean, I think he thinks if she she makes that that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that he necessarily agrees with her, mm-hmm. and he feels really bad for the driver that was let go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a little bit of of a difference here between the husband and the wife. Um, he's I don't want to say soft like in a in a bad way, but he has a soft heart. Let me mm-hmm. say that, and she does not. Yeah. She's like, fuck these people. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
All right, so now things really start to kick off for the rest of the movie. Our family has gotten rained out. They decide that they're going to come back early. So they're all like eating and drinking and, you know, joking around and having some kind of deep conversation in the, and the, um, the doorbell goes off, but it's one of those video thingies. And so we can see it's the previous housekeeper. And she's asking if she can get in. She says she's forgotten something in the basement. (laughs) 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 We've seen the basement. um, But what we find out is behind this wall where like plum wine and all these, you know, kind of canned goods and stuff are kept behind that wall is a, a door that leads to a fucking bunker in the basement. And so um, first the new housekeeper, the wife is like, Oh, excuse me. Like, where are you going? And eventually the rest of the family members follow her down into the basement where we find her husband who's been living in the basement um, since the parks like took over the house. They didn't know that the basement was there. And this family has been hiding from um, debt collectors all this time. (laughs) So this guy has just been living in this basement and she's been sneaking food to him. And so (laughs) they're just like, what the fuck? So then the Kim family, the Mrs. Kim is like, well, I'm just going to call the police. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. And, and she's, yeah, and and the former housekeeper is in that moment very like, please, like, please, just feed him once a week. You know, it it won't take much. Just you know, please, like, like really, like begging her. But yeah. then, <laughs> um, uh, but but so she's like, uh, and and there's a stuff here that I don't understand because in the Korean language there is distinctions between younger sister and older sister. Mm. Um, it's just translated in English. She says, um, come on, sis, like we're the same. Um, and you know, we're, we're not, we're not well off. And, um, uh, Mrs. Kim is like, well, we are, we're doing fine. Like, and she goes, don't call me sis. Like we're not the same. So I just wonder if she had called her like older sis or like something Mm. had happened in the original, um, translation but i don't i don't know korean so i'm not sure but then um uh kiyu and um the rest of the family have been like eavesdropping on this whole conversation but they all like fall and (laughs) so now they have all like fallen on top of each other into the basement and um kiyu like says oh my god dad my ankle and so the cat's out of the bag and the old housekeeper is like, dad, oh my God, you guys are scammers. You're all a family. And she takes a video of them and she is like, um, you let us get what we want or I'm pushing send on this to, you know, text Mrs. Park. I was also going to say, I love this complete switch because then they're in the same position that she was in. And they're like, please, please. Like, don't do this. <laughs> like now they're like, now that they've been thrown off like the high horse, they're totally like, oh, you wouldn't do that. Right. And I feel like this is also a great commentary about how poor people, people in poverty have to fucking fight for resources, you know, and it. 
And that is what the rich want is they want us to have yeah. these inter intra, you know, community, like intra community fights so that we don't focus on them. It's the whole reason why we have managers, you know, of like, get mad at this guy, don't get mad at the owner. And yeah, I feel like it's the same thing of like, there's only so much you got to fight somebody else. And we're just focused on fighting each other than taking out the actual, you know, bad guys. So upstairs, we see that uh, Moon Guang is like rubbing her her husband's back and and she's doing an impression of the dictator of North Korea. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, oh, honey, your impression of, of him is just so wonderful. And we see that the, that the Kims are in the corner on their knees with their arms raised, like in punishment positions. And when they start to like, you know, slag a little bit, they're like, get, get your arms back up in the air. <laughs> And like they're using the phone like as a the threat. I'm gonna send this picture. But then the phone rings and it's Mrs. Park and she's like, could you just make this Ramdan for um Da Song? It's his favorite dish. We're on our way home. We're about six minutes away. So if you could have that right as we're walking in, that would be great, which is an insane request under any circumstance. But yeah, because it's also the middle of the night. Like, what if the housekeeper had been sleeping? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So now there's like this mad scramble and there's this fight between the two families and the phone gets like knocked out of, you know, out of somebody's hand and it's just like loose on the floor but they're like look we got to clean up this place you know because the family's coming back and um, mom is like what the fuck is ramdan Uh, (laughs) and it doesn't exist but it's a combination of udon noodles and ramen noodles but the wife also wants her to um, cut up the sirloin that's in the in the fridge so it's sort of like taking the people's food you know, mm-hmm. and like the rich people's food and like co- combining them together. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our Mrs. Kim figures it out and the rest of the family. Okay. I think Jessica's under the table. Cause I think it, it's the, it's Mr. Kim who, who takes the, the other two, the former housekeeper to take them to the bunker. Yeah. Is he, is he dealing with both of them or is Kiwoo de- dealing with one of them? I don't remember. First but, they deal with the with the, you know, husband and then they yeah. violently take care of the housekeeper. Yeah, so they get the husband down in the basement and they like tie him up and, and gag him with like, you know, duct tape and stuff. And what ends up happening is the wife, Moon Guang, comes up to the stairs and Mrs. Kim kicks her and like kicks her down into the the bunker and she hits her head real hard. Yeah. And she will eventually die from that, that concussion that she receives. But (laughs) uh, the park family comes home. um, They're like, Oh, it was just raining. And it just wasn't like that song didn't like it. So like we came home and um, so there's this whole scene with Mrs. Kim and Mrs. Park at the table. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just a conversation about how I think it was last year or something. Da Song came down in the middle of the night to get his own cake out of the refrigerator, and and it's kind of cute him sitting there 
you know, no. just eating the cake with his hands on the floor. Um, but, and this is like the only kind of jump scare in the movie, although it's not really a jump scare, but he saw a figure like arising, you know, from the basement. And we just see like the eyes of Gay Un like coming up. Um, it is a really scary kind of image. And the kid kind of like had a seizure and like passed out. He was so he was so scared. So she's just sort of telling the story. As she's eating the Ramdan herself. Yeah, because the son didn't want it. She must have been starving because she finishes the whole thing. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. And the daughter says, You didn't even ask me if I wanted any. I love Ramdan. Yeah, and she had offered it to her husband. He's like, I'm going to bed. Like, I, you know, yeah. I'm done with all this. And I love the Miss Park has a line that's like, Oh, kids, they want you to just drop everything at a whim and do exactly what they want. <laughs> and Miss Kim is just like, Mm hmm. <laughs> so uh, later, Dasan goes out into his teepee in the backyard. He's going to sleep out there tonight. And the parks decide that they're going to sleep on the couch, which is um, in the same room as the table where the Kim family is hiding out um, underneath this table. It's very suspenseful. And symbolic, because I believe they had been talking about cockroaches earlier, and it's like, now they are the cockroaches under the table, out of sight. Yes. Oh, that's a really good one. Because Mrs. Kim had basically compared her husband to a cockroach, you know, Mm -hmm. earlier that night. So they have this sex on the couch. And it's just like, uh, it's not sexy to me. It's so uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like, if I was there, I'd be having like the worst time (laughs) of my life. Like if I was under that table, like your your day can't get worse. No, it's actually, it can. It can. But they're also talking, I mean, the thing that really gets them going is imagining that they're poor and that she is addicted to drugs. And um, he's like, what if you put on um, (laughs) the driver's girlfriend's like awful panties, like cheap panties? Um, That would really get me going. And she's like, yeah. And then if you could give me drugs and I take drugs and it's just like you people are so sick. And yeah. wrong. <laughs> um, so they're just, you know, <laughs> having sex. And then um, he also says that he, he really does like his new driver and because he never crosses the line, even though he gets really close. But I'll tell you one thing, his smell crosses the line. And there's it's so heartbreaking because then we see his face and it's like he had just been defending this guy. And I've totally like had moments like this where you just realize that somebody else thinks of you in like a completely different way than you thought. And it's not good. Like he, I don't know, like when they're describing, like trying to think of how the smell is, it's just like having to listen to that be said about you and then just have to go there and be like, have, you know, customer service face on like with them. It would be very hard. I feel like this is where the illusion breaks like for Definitely. all of them. They're not yeah. nice people. No. And and it's it's sad because, you know, his daughter kind of looks at him and understands that he's, you know, being humiliated and, and and she turns her face away from him too and it's just it's it's rough. When the parks like go back upstairs, 
Jessica and Q and Kitek are able to make their escape and go back. I thought they were still sleeping. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm yeah. so sorry. Like yeah, they have they, to scurry they fall out. Asleep and they have to scurry out. That's absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a bit of a suspenseful moment where Kiteka is the last one out, you know, and like, it sounds like uh, Mr. Park stopped snoring for a second. It's like, ah, you know, but anyway, they make this trek back home, which is just epic. I mean, there's just like a deluge of rain and, they are making their way down, back down into their neighborhood. And just at various points, like he will look down at his feet at just the like flood of water that's passing him. And it's just really difficult for them to all get back home. And then when they do get back home, the sewer water is like chest deep. And so and like they have- exploding out of the toilet. Like, yeah, it's horrible. There's a little cut where um, we see this the spewing toilet at the Kim's house, and then we see Moon Guang vomiting in the basement mm. toilet um, because she's succumbing to her concussion. And Kitek is just, I mean, defeated, and he ends up with just a tiny box of belongings. One of which is the picture of his wife with the uh, his wife's um, medal that had been framed and of course the scholars rock. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't fully grasp this the first time, but I, uh, Kitek says to, um, the husband living in the basement earlier, like, how can you live like this? Like, this is like wild. And then he just realizes that he lives in the exact same situation. I feel like, like, and I feel like that's just another thing that's like breaking his veneer of like, I'm not different than this guy, you know? And I did a, I did a presentation on this movie and, and kind of like larger themes in Korean cinema for Quinn's class. And I, I had a statistic, which I don't have anymore, but a lot of people live in basement apartments in wow. South Korea. This is not like an isolated thing at all. Back at the park's house, um, Gunsei is tied up and gagged, um, but Moon Guang is is dying. And, but at, before she dies, she tells her husband to remember Chan Sok's name. That's the name of the new housekeeper, the mother, um, Chung Sok. She's like, just remember that, Chung Sok. Um, and so then we cut to a group of people who are displaced at this gym. And it's just sort of this mass of people. And you know what I thought of? was the day after did you oh yeah but it's just i mean it's just a scene that we've seen a thousand times before of like natural disaster Mm -hmm. scenes where everyone's just sort of piled into one place and we get the discussion of whether or not it's good to have a plan Mm, i love this scene so i just wanted to read that Mm mm-hmm so Kitak says to his son, you know, a kind of plan never fails. No plan, no plan at all. You know why? Because life cannot be planned. Look around you. Do you think these people made a plan to sleep in the sports hall with you? But here we are now sleeping together on the floor. So there's no need for a plan. You can't go wrong with no plans. We don't need to make a plan for anything. It doesn't matter what will happen next. Even if the country gets destroyed or sold out, nobody cares. Got it. That's so like, (laughs) 
hits very hard. Like <clears throat> I don't I don't know. Like I feel like a, <laughs> a lot of us are dealing with this like crushing like not even apathy, but just like helplessness. Yeah. And I feel like this is really a turning point for him. Mm-hmm. Um, like he, his mind has definitely been changed. And um, we sort of see there's, there's a very famous picture of him when he's driving Mrs. Park the next day, but um, where his face is just completely, I mean, it, I think that's a mark. One of the marks of a good actor is you can just look at a still picture of mm-hmm. of their face and like understand completely what they're thinking and feeling. If you've been in customer service, well, <laughs> if you've been around anybody who you can't be your full true self around, there's just like, man, you just start to feel this overwhelming hatred. Um, and she's got her feet up like right behind his, like right his next head. to his head, just like yeah. talking on the phone, like, yes, oh my gosh, we'd love to hear you sing. <laughs> you know, just... So we sort of have this montage again, planning for Da Song's party. Um, we have a conversation between Dai and Kyu, and he wonders if he belongs mm-hmm. um, as he's looking at all the party goers gathering below. And she's like, mm-hmm. but she's not convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, um, he enters the bunker with the scholar's rock to find, to find Gung Se. Um, he finds that Moon Guang has died, um, and then he's attacked by a deranged Gong Se. Before that happens, though, we have Kitak has taken uh, Mrs. Park, and it's just basically her talking on the phone, inviting people last minute to her son's party. And meanwhile, um, Chung Suk is like setting up. Um, all these tables in this weird, like military formation, like make it look like a crane's wings or something like that. Just like crazy shit in the backyard. And then we'll see all the party goers are, you know, obviously dressed really nicely. We have a cellist, we have somebody who's like an opera singer, you know, for this child's fifth birthday or whatever. But um, (laughs) I guess that's what rich people like. The climax of the movie is um, involves Kiyu trying to, destroy Gung Se, but he in fact gets pummeled by the scholar's rock himself. Um, And we see Q lying in a pool of blood at the entrance to the basement. And I thought he was dead. The first time I saw that, I'm like, that kid's dead. So Gung Se wants to avenge his dead wife. And so he grabs a knife from the kitchen and- well, but I feel like before this was a really important moment between Mr. Park and Mr. Kim, because they're, or were you going to mention it? No, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, well, they, they have this whole plan that Jessica is going to bring out the cake, and they are like the quote-unquote Indians that are going to attack her, and then Da Song is going to save the day. And Mr. Mr. Kim again makes a comment that he had made earlier, like, uh, so... I don't remember exactly what it was, but basically about his own wife, like, well, you know, but you love her. So, you know, that's why this is happening. And he, we see like Mr. Park just look very grave and he's like, think of yourself as being at work right now, you know, like, don't, don't cross the line. Um, Yeah. And again, just like another reiteration, like we are not friends. Gung Se comes out into the 
party. <laughs> His face is all bloody and he has a knife. And um, so he ends up stab- stabbing Ki Jung, the sister Jessica, with the kitchen knife in front of horrified guests. Um, Poor that song <laughs> uh, basically falls backward. He has another um, seizure upon seeing Gung Tse. And a struggle breaks out until Chung Suk fatally impales Gunsei with a barbecue skewer, which still has like a bunch of like sausages on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Kitak is trying to take care of his daughter, um, but Mr. Park is like, throw me the keys to Kitak. Nobody cares. Yeah. he, He wants to drive his son to the hospital. In the chaos, Ketak sees um, Mr. Park's disgusted reaction to Gunsei's odor, angrily kills him with the knife. Yeah, and I feel like it's just really important that, like, nobody tries to help Jessica or, yeah, the daughter. Like, n- absolutely nobody. Like, they're just, we're going to get out of here. And I feel like he's so, we also just see so much surprise on Ketak's face of just, like, you're not even going to help this person who is just stabbed, who's like been taking care of your son for like how many months, you know, that that was an essential part of this birthday party. You know, it it is disturbing. And yes. like, it's just so like, that to me was so horrifying too. Yeah. And we see sort of in the background, <laughs> the die has you like, <laughs> On her back. <laughs> on her back. Um, he's all bloody. And so Kitek's like, what happened to my son, too? Like, he has no idea, obviously, what has happened. After Kitek realizes he has killed Mr. Uh, Park, he flees and he leaves the rest of the family behind. And we'll learn that as he goes down the stairs, um, he goes in, back into the house. But um, we don't know that right at this moment. A couple weeks later, Kiyu is recovering from a brain operation and he can't stop laughing. And he, um, he's, it, we get voiceover here where he's like, the cop was talking, but he didn't sound like a cop. And the doctor was talking and he didn't sound like a doctor. And they told me that Ki Jung had died. And, you know, it just all seemed like insane to me. They say he's laughing because of his brain operation. They're like, yeah, sometimes that happens with like, um, but I, I wondered about this because just sidebar when my dad died, I couldn't stop laughing. Like I Mm. laughed like the entire morning. Like I just really couldn't stop. Um, And somebody, and I'm like, I don't like the word hysterical, but I'm like, is that a hysterical reaction? And somebody said, no, that's, that's a reaction that people sometimes have. It's like, you know, in the realm of, of, typical reactions that people can have. Yeah. Um, but that's what it reminded me of. He and his mom are convicted of fraud and they're put on probation. Kitak is like missing. He's wanted by the authorities. And um, Gunsei is assumed to be an insane homeless person. And neither his nor Kitak's motive for the murders are known. Kiu spies on the park's home and it's now occupied by a German family or maybe a Swiss family um, who don't know anything about its history. And he sees a message in Morse code from a flickering light. And I hadn't mentioned this before, but earlier Gunsei said that he had been sending like 
coded messages because he respects them so much for allowing him to live in this basement. Like he has pictures of Mr. Park and he's like, thank you, Mr. Park. Like he loves him. Yes. So Kiatek, who escaped into the bunker, has buried Mungguang in the garden and sends the message every day, hoping that Kiyu will see it. Uh, hoping that he will see it. And there's one thing I wanted to point out. It's also another pretty famous scene of him every once in a while <clears throat> trying to get out of the bunker to get some food. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of him just, you know, in the square window, kind of similar to the first shot we see of him in the beginning of the movie, but also very similar to a shot in Psycho mm-hmm. where um, Lila Crane is like mm-hmm. trying to hide from Norman. So kind of interesting. Q is still living in the basement with his mother. Um, and he writes a letter to key attack and he vows to earn enough money to purchase the house. And God, reunite I was just sobbing. Dad. It's like uh, this got so like heart wrenching. Cause then they have this like fantasy where, you know, they're, they're going in and then they just hug him and it's just so sad. And Bong Joon had to Bong Joon-ho had to put the last shot of the movie in, so people really got the point that that was never going to happen. And so it's snowing outside, and the camera pans down from that same basement window, so we just see Kiu like writing his letter to his father. I don't know if this is intentional, but based off of like the husband that had been living in the basement. He's like hitting his head on the light at first to send them Morse code. And the Morse code like letter is so long. Like it's really long. And it reminded me of Johnny Got His Gun, that book, because it's about a guy hurt in war where basically every part of him has been blown away, but he's still alive and he's kind of like a medical marvel. And he finally figures out that he can communicate by slamming his head against the pillow and typing out like a message basically in Morse code. And it's extremely long. Like it's this whole entire monologue about how he wants to say, like he wants to be wheeled around and showed to people of like, this is what war Mm -hmm. is. And it's really impassioned. And then at the end, you know, of it, it's basically just like, yeah, that's never going to happen. You know, it's... It's really like the nurse and the doctor are just kind of like, sorry, you know, and that's it. And um, like he'd been working so hard to get this message out and it's not going to nothing's ever going to come of it. And I was just thinking, I I don't know if it could just be like a coincidence, but it reminds me of that just because the letter is so long, you know, so long, but also. I just thought of banging your head against a wall. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a futile gesture, you know, and I think that this movie is talking about the futility of trying to move out of poverty. There's really, I mean, there's the slimmest of chances. It's most likely not going to happen. And so I feel like that's, and I feel like that's a theme that runs through a lot of Korean cinema, just Mm -hmm. sort of like, even in the host where, I mean, they do everything that they can possibly do to save the daughter and they, then they don't. Yeah. You know, and there are other scenes like that. Like there's a a scene in, in a film I really like called chaser where, you know, and we've seen, we've seen it. And I saw the devil, you know, this kind of thing where it's just like, you know, 
in an American movie, for sure, the hero mm-hmm. would like bust in and like save the day. And that just doesn't happen. Even if the mm-hmm. hero busts in in a Korean movie, um, the person's dead already or something. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're too late. Or if you get your revenge, you realize that it means nothing. Well, that too. <laughs> Do you want to hear some trivia? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I have one phobia, ombrophobia, which I think we've had before, is the fear of rain. I mean, God, I certainly fear that shit ever happening to me, the flooding. Oh, my God, that was terrifying. I do fear floods. I mean, healthy fear for North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> Q's job at home tutor was chosen because director Bong Juno realized that sadly, the job is the only way that families from two extreme ends of the class spectrum in modern day South Korea can cross their paths convincingly in the story arc. Yeah. And also I think he was an English tutor. tutor. Um, I was also an English tutor. Um, and um, yeah, that's true. I've seen houses that I never would have seen. I've seen the inside of houses. I never would have seen if I hadn't had that job. <laughs> yeah. I think that and yeah, that I think all the choices of jobs were good. Like housekeeper is the other big one. And yep. even though I've, I personally, like, I've, I always forget that people have drivers. Like you have a dedicated person who drives you, but that also makes sense. Like somebody in, in a fancy car who might never usually be. Yes. Uh, Bong Juno did a lot of sketches of the basic structures for the rich house. He further revealed that when the production designer consulted an actual architect to design this house, the architect saw the sketches and said, no idiot would build houses this way. This is ridiculous. <laughs> As a lot of people know already, um, this film won the Palme d'Or at the 2019 Cannes Film Festival, and it was the first Korean film ever to do so. And just this last year, our guy won the Best Actor Award at Cannes, and he was the first Korean to ever do that. Um, scholar stones or landscape rocks are known as susuk in Korean, and they have a deep history in East Asia. The director's father corrected, collected them when he was younger. The practice of collecting these attractively shaped stones dates back thousands of years, but they became a fixture of Korean society during the Joseon Dynasty, 1392 to 1897 when they were commonly displayed on the writing tables of Confucian scholars, hence their English name, Scholars Rocks. Hmm. This movie was shot in 77 days. Wow. That seems really tight. (laughs) Yeah, to me it seems very tight as well. (laughs) This is a crazy one. The trash can in the park's house cost $2,300 in real life. Bong Juno chose it because it doesn't make any noise and opens very smoothly. Still, he was baffled by the cause, saying, what the fuck? What kind of idiot would buy a trash can that's going to smell anyway? It's true. The song over the end credits is called A Glass of Soju and features lyrics written by Bong Juno. <laughs> Please try this song in karaoke so I can earn some money from it, he stated. And it's <laughs> Tue Ushik who's singing. Oh, the gym in the film is the same place where Bong Juno filmed the quarantine sequence in the host. He didn't realize it and was reminded by a member of the crew. Oh, fuck. 
<laughs> Wait, this this trivia is so funny to me that Bong Juno was never given an Americanized name like uh-huh. some of his fellow Koreans. <laughs> and Mr. Park uh oh wait. Mr. Park goes by the name Nathan. Yeah. And mentions that he learned his surname Bong has a meaning in the US. His first distributor in the US actually sat him down and explained what a bong is, and they gave me a real bong as a gift after the promotion of the host, and that it that caused him some trouble at the airport. <laughs> Just imagining him with a bong. <laughs> Uh, this is the third collaboration of the director with the cinematographer, Hong Kyung-pyo. And Hong was also the cinematographer of 2018's Korean cinema at Cannes, Burning, which is a beloved movie. Of- oh, one thing about the, the mud. For the flood scene of the poorhouse, face mud mask was used to give the sewage water its brownish look. They did a good job. Man, this guy in sewer water, he's so good at making it. Well, I guess the first one, it wasn't made. It was real. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's a whole section on that on the DVD, too, of them having to clean up, like, dead animals. and. Oh, my oh, God. It was a whole process to shoot down in those sewers. I hope they got paid well. I Maybe mean, they were just... Probably like, not. <laughs> yeah, probably we're not given hazard pay for that. <laughs> what does Letterboxd have to say about it? Bullwern, that's probably like a Welsh name or something. Anyway, give it five stars. I'd sell my soul to watch this first time again. Honestly, I don't understand that because I feel like I had, I'm gaining more appreciation the more time. Like, I want to watch it again to get even more. Like, I feel like the second watch was better for me, honestly. Yeah. There are some movies I feel like that about, but not this one. Yeah. Toby gave it five stars. Maybe I don't want to be rich. (laughs) (laughs) AJ gave it five stars. When I first heard about this movie, I thought it would be about something like the worms cats have. It wasn't, but I loved it still. Vusal gave it five stars. A dark comedy mixed with anxiety-inducing suspense, as well as some elements of drama and horror, definitely got me gagged. Okay, this uh, I need help with. Got me gagged. Um, how to explain? It's like, I'm, I don't even feel like I could explain it. Like, I feel like get gagged is kind of like, it, it kind of like. <laughs> UrbanDictionary.com. Do people still use UrbanDictionary.com? I do. Okay. Let's see. Um. No, none of this is it. Uh, gay. <laughs> okay, it's as a sign of amusement or excitement. It is mostly used in the context of a relationship or drag performance. Quote, Miss Thing, that Queen Vanessa kool had me gagging. Okay. So I guess it's just like, if you get gagged, it's kind of like, you know, that really... That was really great. I don't, it's like, it's one of those things where I feel like you need to see examples of it. And then you just, it's like how to, (laughs) you can't describe how Coke tastes. I can't describe what gagged means. Okay. And this is a weird thing to ask my son, but does it have anything to do with blowjobs? I, maybe. 
Well, Chloe gave it five stars. Rewatch this for a paper I'm writing. Still so, 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 so stressful to the point I had to watch Peppa Pig after because my brain cells weren't brain selling. <laughs> Dharma Bombs gave it five stars. Want a comedy? Want a thriller? Want a drama? Want a horror? Want a social commentary? Well, here's Parasite for your viewing pleasure. Here's a new feature within a feature. And this new feature is called, what does Winnick have to say about it? (laughs) So Eric Winnick gave it three and a half stars. Parasite may not be a film you're supposed to quote enjoy, but it is one that you'll be left thinking about for days. So much to chew on here, but for sheer entertainment value, sorry, folks, I preferred Snowpiercer and the host, though they didn't crawl into my brain the way this did. Luckily, there's room for all types of films in this world, and Bong Juno makes them all. Just wish this one had lived up to the hype. Hmm. We're going to have to fight you. Yeah. I f- do you want to come to North Carolina or do you want us to come to New York? <laughs> because we're going to have to brawl over this. Put him up. <laughs> I feel like to me, this movie is so, so visually like beautiful. Yes. And when there's moments that like, maybe there's not much dialogue or anything. It's like, I'm blown away by, cause even the visuals in the basement, like the semi-basement um, apartment are are beautiful. Like just the whole thing is beautiful. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But everybody's entitled to their opinion, even if it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Am I? Who knows? I, the Lego Batman, gave it a half star. <laughs> Haven't seen it yet. I don't like this trend on Letterboxd. Fuck y'all who do this. Why would you? It's not funny. People, you know, sometimes, you know, a funny little thing for a review, you know, okay, it's cute. But sometimes it is not cute. It's just not cute. (laughs) You've heard it here. Lola Morgan gave it a half star. I was expecting a good movie at the very least. Boring and dumb socialist crap. Go to hell. (laughs) Literally go to hell, Lola Morgan. <laughs> you sound like dumb conservative crap. Just saying. Don Baxter gave it a half star. Bong Juno is the real villain for trying to turn the basement dweller into a crazed psycho killer. Everyone in this film is a piece of shit except for the man that controls the lights. He should have been riding off into the sunset. Bong Juno, you are fired. You missed it. You missed the point. And, you know... That's okay. It's okay to be wrong, but you did miss the point, you know? Mm-hmm. That was on purpose. Poppy Cherry gave it a half star. Not my vibe. Left to make noodles. But did you make Ramdan? Because <laughs> that shit looked good. It did look good. How would we rate this? Bowls hmm. of Ramdan? Yeah, bowls of Ramdan. I'm going to give it five. I'm going to give it 4.75. Only for that one scene that I don't think is acted very well. But other than that, you might, you have better perspective than me because I didn't, I didn't know. I made a career. I mean, (laughs) being drunk. So, you know, uh, y'all, I didn't, this little uh, TMI, but I'm, I'm going to be 19 years sober on Saturday. Woo. And uh, that had to happen because I put a lifetime of drinking into the 18 years that I drank, uh, professionally. Um, so, um, I do, I do have experience. I can speak on this. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I mean, there are certainly times where I see actors when they're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, okay. The real trick, I was taught this when I was um, in my brief acting career, is to try not to be drunk. Yeah. That's you trick. also need more like thousand yard stares. I feel like sometimes a drunk person just kind of like looks at you and it's like, what are you looking at? They don't even know. They don't know. They're just trying to gather their thoughts like into a cohesive. And you're so right. They're probably thinking, don't act drunk. Don't act drunk. Exactly. What have we learned from this movie, Mac? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> There's a lot. Rich people aren't your friends. Hey, I don't think any of you listening to this pod would be this person but you know if you're a loser who does things like cape, cape for elon musk sorry he's never gonna give you money you can you'll continue being poor and he'll continue being rich and you caping for him on twitter does nothing but make you look pathetic i mean i just think capitalism is is super violent and yeah. um evil a, and yeah it doesn't give a fuck about you it's a system where there's winners and losers, and most of us are losers. I remember this something very interesting. I remember when we were learning about like Romeo and Juliet and how there was like when it was like actually in Shakespeare times, you know, performed, there was like the poor section, which was just like ground that, you know, just the, the dregs. The groundlings, yeah. Yeah, the groundlings. And like I remember as a kid thinking like, well, I would be like a princess probably. You know? And <laughs> yeah, I, I feel know. like I mentioned it to, to either you or dad and you were like, oh, honey, <laughs> no, we'd be in the ground. And that like really was a good lesson for me because like I, it is – you'll know if you are that 1% and like you're not. So like w- – w- because there's so many people who are like, you think 40 hours a week is a job? I work 80 hours. Do you want an award? Your life is bad. Great. Mm-hmm. Good for you. You know, like w- we shouldn't have to live in a world where you have to work that long. Why are you proud of it? <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, it's just it's just it's just sad. And it's it's very difficult even in, in the USA to climb out of poverty, you know, the land of opportunity, that's a fucking lie. You know, if you have certain um, racial advantages and, and if you have, have a certain amount of, amount of wealth that you were born into, maybe, mm-hmm. but otherwise you're pretty much, you know, fucked, <laughs> you know? And yeah, I think that's so funny when you were saying the thing about the groundlings, it just reminds me of people who, when when they talk about reincarnation, you know, they were always like Cleopatra or like Napoleon or something like, no, you were just some schmo. <laughs> you were a peasant, fool. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point. There's only like 10 people who run the world and all of us yeah. else are, you know, bugs to them. Well, bugs again. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. All comes back to bugs. <laughs> all comes back to goodnight mommy. Um, would we watch this again? Yes. Yeah. I've seen it several times. I'm sure I will see it again. Okay. My boyfriend who doesn't watch a lot of movies, much less like international movies stood up in my living room at the end of this and clapped at the screen. So I don't know if anyone hasn't seen this movie yet. Um, I don't know why you have listened this far into the podcast, (laughs) but I mean, um, if you haven't go just do yourself a favor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Should we shut this one down? Let's shut it down. <laughs> I mean, this was a great, I think this was your idea. I, I called it mom's picks, but this was actually uh, Max picks. I'm glad we got to have this combo. I love, We. I mean, we love him. We love both of these men. Yes, deeply. Deeply. Thank you for joining us for this episode and for all your support. It means the world of horror to us, truly. <laughs> Next time, Max picks involve movies related to dementia. We will be looking at the taking of Deborah Logan from the U.S. and Relic from Australia. We would welcome your support in the form of a five-star review or thumbs up on your preferred listening platform. Hey, Mac, what do you have going on? Well, you can follow my art Instagram at Macaritaville, and I also have a Tumblr that would be Tumblr, tumblr.macaritaville.com. I don't know. You can find me there. <laughs> Remember, Wohos, we love you, and don't go into the basement. <laughs> 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 <laughs>